This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, Behind the Shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Tony Gillen. Now, Tony is originally from Scotland, but moved to the U.S. as a young man. And we discuss a host of topics from his journey into the Marines, transitioning out and into the fire service, leadership, firefighter fitness, training, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating the podcast receives elevates it, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Tony Gillen. Enjoy. Well, Tony, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come to my home onto the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. So for people listening, where would we normally be finding you on this fine day? Um, probably hanging out with the dogs. Uh, the wife of this got Teddy off, so I, I try to spend as much time with her as I can. She's an ER nurse, and uh, so we have conflicting schedules. So try to spend time with her. She's going through her practitioner school, so... The hour or so I get to be with her when she's not got her face in a computer or a book, you know, is always nice. So, well, that's about it. Just kind of 
I either go to the gym, go work out, or I'm usually involved in some other project. Okay. And which town do you live in? You're in I, in, in Ocala. Yeah, I live okay. in Ocala, yeah. Brilliant. Well, for, I don't know if people can pick it up because you, like myself, have got a mixed action <laughs> accent, excuse me, but I know you're not originally from here in the US. So let's start at the very beginning. Tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. So I'm actually from Greenwich, Scotland, and um, and actually I was actually born born in England. So, you know, I guess that goes against me being a true Scotsman, I guess. But um, I was born in England, moved to moved up to his mom, took me back up to Scotland when I was like three months old, four months old. So um, I was actually an identical twin, but my brother died of SIDS when he was four months old. So I was uh, born one pound, 11 ounces, and my mother was told, don't hold me because I'm never going to make it. Well, now I'm 53, so I've done pretty well. So I think I, I, I've proved that doctor wrong. That's amazing. So you lost a, a twin at four months mm-hmm. old. So, and when, and when you're talking about, you know, I'm assuming we're the same age. So in the seventies, to survive at one pound eleven ounces is is a miracle in itself. Yeah. So, what do they tell you about going from near death to becoming a healthy infant? Oh, uh, they just they told my mom that I was always going to struggle with a lot of things in life because being so little, that I was going to have many health problems and stuff. I think the only thing I suffered from was being short. I think that's about it. I was going to say your yeah. arms are bigger than mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do okay. I try to. And um, so it's just one of those things. Uh, growing up, as you know, back in the UK and everything else, the only sport you played was was football, aka soccer, for this country, aka uh, real football. Yeah, right. <laughs> with I your mean, feet. We didn't play. We didn't play basketball because basketball was netball, and girls played netball. Yes, and so, rounders, and, aka know, baseball. Yep, and then <laughs> rugby. So and that was about it, and um, which is nothing like American football, as we all know. So it was funny when I came over here. Um, I came over here when I was twelve. I was a below-average soccer player in Scotland, but I was quite an above-average soccer player here in the United States, which was amazing to me because they were like, "Oh, you're really good." I'm like, "I'm really not that good." So it was interesting. Uh, childhood was a lot different growing up in Britain than the United States. Um, lots of different weird things as far as uh, where I lived in Scotland. Um, Greenock is a shipbuilding town in uh, South River Clyde. And so we had, you know, our schools were regimented and stuff like that. Um, I, grew up with, I grew up without a father. So my grandfather was the main male influence in my life, who happened to be a retired regimental sergeant major for the Regales. So um, he was uh, very, very tough and very stern. So I learned, I was always going to be in the military, just from, that was just all I knew because my grandfather kind of hammered it into me. Um, and my mother met an American um, when I was you know, 12 or it was, and then decided that we were going to get married and come over to the United States. So left Scotland, it was, uh, let's see, raining, and it was summertime probably, raining, uh, like 40 degrees and landed in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in 98 degrees. I had no idea what I'd gotten into. So it was interesting. So weird transition. But So when I hear Virginia Beach, Virginia, I think about the seal, the west the East Coast seal. So mm-hmm. what branch was your I guess stepfather, father? But my dad um, was in the Navy. He was Navy, okay. Uh huh. He's just he just he was actually um ended up being actually a firefighter in the Navy. And um he was actually a they call it H T which is a hull maintenance technician. So he's kinda like a, a construction worker, I guess, on the ship. So, uh, but this funny thing was, was we come over here to a new country and so all of a sudden he goes on a six month med cruise. So it's my mom and I in a brand new country. My mom doesn't know how to drive. You know, we have no idea anything about this country. So I had to learn how to do things in a different way real quick, which was quite 
interesting as far as school. Um, different words we say, um, different things. Um, other enough is we didn't have any black people growing up in Scotland. And um, we see the sailors every now and then, but I'd never actually been around any. So here I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I'm looking around, I'm like, okay. So I get my first little altercation <laughs> with one of the students. And I asked him, I said, are, are you actually from Africa? And he's like, what? Which actually from a, a tiny island that had colonized most of the world mm -hmm. is an innocent question. Because it, it a lot was, of people was, in our was, country... There was no malice intended whatsoever. Yeah, we have a lot of African people in the UK. Yeah. So then I asked him if he, was an, if he was an Aborigine, if he wasn't from Africa. And he had no idea what I was talking about. So I was explaining that to him. And uh, the teacher's paying close attention and getting closer and closer to intervene in case there was some violence associated with it. And um, so we had to have a little talk about what my cultural norms were compared to what I was experiencing now. And when I told him I'd never really been around black people, everybody was shocked. And so never had any problems, just a, had no knowledge of it. You know, so just when I, when I first got to school, they thought um, I kept on writing things different. So one of the teachers said it was I was illiterate, and the other teacher's like, no, he's actually not not even close. He's very intelligent, just because he spells words differently. He's from Britain. There is a U in color, for yes, example. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> tires, T Y R E, things like that. I had to learn a difference. So um, um, they wanted to put me into like special education class, and um, finally the teacher got me a, a school book from the college. Now I was 13 years old, and had me write an essay. And they graded it, and it was perfect. And so this teacher came to me, and she's like, look, he's not an idiot. He's actually far from it. You just need to understand the difference of that education compared to this education. So it kind of was like, huh, I'm, this is really unfamiliar territory for him, and it's kind of it's kind of odd. So I had to learn how to adapt. I don't want to say the dumbing down of things, but how things were different for us coming from Britain to here. So you moved here when you were 12, mm -hmm. yet your Scottish accent is still thick today. That, that's pretty impressive. I, I don't see it, because my, when my family, I talk to them on the phone, they tell me I'm so Americanized. Yeah, they tell me the same thing. <laughs> but then I'll say thank you in public, and they'll be like, oh my God, are you from England? Oh. I just said thank you, and you yeah. picked it up from that, so it, I guess it depends on the ear holes. When, when, I taught, when I just taught in Michigan for the, uh, the first um, Great Lakes Fire Conference, they kept telling me to slow down, and I'm like, I am speaking slow as far as I'm concerned. We have a guy from Aberdeen talking. You'll never understand what that guy's saying. <laughs> so, uh, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I end up, uh, so I did that kind of, kind of mulled around. Didn't get really heavily into sports, just soccer. And, uh, and um, I always felt like, because they said I was good here, that was a fraud because I wasn't good back home. So I never really opened up that avenue of anything. Um, just, I realized real quick that I was pretty smart in school, but like most people, when shows are smart in school, you can put in different category of things, then you get made fun of. And well, being a little guy, I already got picked on enough. So I would just empty the offset and I'd dumb myself down just to avoid being harassed and picked on. And here I already had, it's already short, I've already got, I already speak funny. And all of a sudden, who's this smart guy trying to be? You know, so I kind of cowered down a lot in her analysis and was not, made me very, very um, introverted throughout my life so and uh just kept that way a little bit that's why i'm not a big social media guy and stuff a lot and just well, yeah that's it's funny though because you you look at the definition of introvert i had a guy on who wrote a book the introvert's edge um and uh 
it was amazing. I've heard Simon Sinek talk about this too. The definition of an introvert is someone who they can be in in social you know gatherings, but it's where you get your energy from. And I see this in myself. I'm fine in mingling, being out. That's me. But there's a point where I'm like, I'm out, you know. And when I go home, like sitting with our two German shepherds that are panting away in the microphone here, <laughs> that's this is my usa. This is I love the intimate conversations. I love you mm-hmm. know socializing with you know maybe another couple you know that that's that's where i get it from um so i think there's a lot of a lot more of us that are actually introverts than we realize yeah i I like seeking out people that have a different point of view than me on different things because that's how you become educated um if you spend your life surrounded by people who just echo things you say you don't you don't grow and it's just you learn one side of everything and then when something else comes into play it's a complete shock and you're like, oh, why, why was I not informed about this this thought process? And it doesn't make the other person wrong, it just makes them different and it makes them interesting. Absolutely. Well, just going back for a second, you talked about your granddad being in the Argyles. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he was of the World War II era. Yep. Did he serve and did he ever disseminate any stories? Because oh, yeah. over and over again, I know my grand, for example, that generation often didn't talk to their right. children and grandchildren about it. Well, I did. I used to ask one time because we used to sit and polish his medals, and um, so we'd sit at the dining room table and polish his medals. So my grandfather, is, if you have the, the the vision of, so he was also a Golden Gloves champion boxer for the British Army, and uh, he's shorter than me, built like a, a brick shit house basically, um, the old school tattoos that the Brits had on the arms or else, um, with smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey. So the house always smelled like three things: Old Spice whiskey and cigarettes so um it's just one of those things that I, as soon as i smell i'm just like i think my grandfather and um he's like even though he was short he's a very imposing individual just his, his demeanor and the way he carried himself when we used to got in town and it was two people that knew him it, you, either when they interact with my grandfather you could tell either they either respected them or they were shit scared of him and it was evident of which one it was so i always used to make me laugh because i always see him and he'd always wear dress slacks a white a white tank top and a shirt and his suspenders sit down. But when I went into town, it was short buttoned up tie, you know, waistcoat, you know, short waistcoat. When I was out looking very, very put together, never like a bag of trash, ever. And um, so he was carrying himself very, very, as you think of regimental sergeant major would. So um, it was, we'd talk about different things from when he was in. So he mentioned one time I used to laugh because he had a, had a weird hole in the back of his leg when I was a kid. And um, so he used to, poke it <laughs> and um i went to ask him i said granted what's that from he goes we well, was shot in the leg at the battle of the bulge and um and he says it went through his leg and the skin just healed over and i said what well, did the move you in he goes no you don't stop fighting there was a war son you know so and it's just the way he was you know so um he says probably if we went to wearing a kilt it probably would have the, the, the trousers might stop the boat but i was wearing a kilt so you know how that works in the battle of the bulge in the the Frozen forest and so the kilt. He, he oh said my god! That. You know, it was like we wore kilts. So I was like, I was like, oh god, you know, stuff like that. He was just joking with me and stuff like that. But it was funny, and um, but then we talk about different things. He was in India. Uh, I've got pictures of him in India. In fact, there's one of the funny pictures I got at the house. It's him and another guy, and they're in a canoe in India and in, in the sand. And he's he's like doing all these numbers, you know, like <laughs> it's just it's just stupid them just being just being what military people are, just idiots when they're when they're not in combat, you know, just. Like but he firefighters. had, a, yeah, but he like firefighters, yeah. But he just a demeanor about him that was just really interesting and everything else, and uh, very, uh, very stoic and about a lot of things. You did talk about your feelings, 
you know, this and that. Um, it was just a very, you know, my mum would always say my, my, my granddad was very, was very stern, very, very cold, you know, and that's not the man I knew. He was always very kind, very kind to me. And I, it's, we would always, we always had a hard thing growing up was I uh, grew up really poor in Scotland and uh, my granddad had money and uh, but my granddad would buy me any toy that I wanted. But if I needed shoes or clothes, that was my mum's job. Because, you know, it was him to spoil me on these things that, well, and so there was a little thing about it that um, I'm the last Gillen because everybody else was married. So the Gillen name was gone. I was only Gillen. So I got spoiled like I was the son that he never had because he had four daughters. So that was the Gillen, child, the, the boy. So um, it was one of those things where he just would give those things. It was, a, it was different. He would spoil me on those things, but not the things really meant were, were, were needed. So uh, my mom always had a hard time with that kind of stuff when we were growing up. But uh, when I was, we were leaving to come to the United States, you know, he was pretty upset about it. But uh, when I was in the military, uh, I'd, when I was over here in Nelson, became a United States Marine. Um, he was very, from our stand, he, he cried because, uh, my, and my grandmother said, it's the first time I've seen my grandfather crying forever. And he was happy because I'm a Marine. And I was showing that the military thing that he'd instilled was there. It didn't go unnoticed, you know. So, and um, funny thing about that was uh, when I was, I was, uh, and not a lot of people know it, just people that are close to me. So I was, um, I was second force recon in the Marine Corps. And um, when I was going through Indoc, my grandfather had passed away. And um, so <clears throat> my mom got a hold of the command, let them know. And uh, one of the generals was there, or a colonel, where it was. So my mom said, look, we're not going to let him know this happened. Because if we let him know, if he's that close, let him know, he won't pass Indoc. He'll never make it. So let's not tell him. But the minute he, if he, if he makes it all the way through, We'll fly him home for the funeral. We'll fly him home for family. We'll do whatever it takes. But right now, please, let's not let him know. So I, I get done with recon or else, and, and it's, you know, very like the last man standing type of thing. And um, so I get to celebrate that or else. And then the next day I get told that my grandfather, who was the biggest influence in my whole life, was gone. So that was hard. Um, so, <clears throat> well, so the thing, funny thing about the recon thing, I was never going to beat infantry. <laughs> you went like fast track straight to recon um i was so i went to school to be a mechanic um in the military um but then so the setup i was like there's a unit called anglico which is air naval gunfire liaison company um they call a naval gunfire they're the ones that paint the targets and call in hey hit that you know so um they're usually danger close and uh, on any kind of missions so i went there first and i got volunteered to go there and uh, i was like great so I was, I was not the I was your basic marine, you know, like I've like I struggled with a PFT test or an else. It just wasn't my thing, and um, so I got over there and I was doing pretty good on it. I come to find out I'm Scottish, and they're like, "Oh, Sergeant Major Force Recon Scottish, he would love you. We're going to send you over there." I'm like, "Right." So I went from not wanting to be infantry now want, they want me to be super infantry. Fantastic. What <laughs> <laughs> the hell? So uh, hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, to say that. I wanted to quit every eight hours or five hours would be an understatement. Um, but I had, when I got there, I had this small, stout Puerto Rican or Spanish, Hispanic sergeant. 
stand in front of me and look at me and poke in my chest and goes, ha, you're never going to make it. Just quit now. And I was like, something inside me said, this guy has no idea who I am. Just sum me up in one iota of I'm not going to make this. Who does he think he is? So I spent the whole time trying to find you some way to just say F you to that guy the whole time. That was my whole goal. If I can make that guy change his mind. So when we got done with everything, he walks up to me. He says, um, do you remember me? Because I only saw him like once or twice through the whole thing. I was like, I was like, yes, Sergeant. He says, uh, do you remember I said to you the first day? I went, yeah, I do. Because how did it make you feel? I said, insignificant. I said, and just, I said, angry. He goes, and you harness out anger the entire time. I was like, yeah. He goes, good. He goes, I thought this was going to take for you. He goes, I was betting on you that you would make it. He goes, but I had to do something to secure my bet. He goes, so figure if I attack your character and attack your person, that might work. So I was like, okay, well, it did. <laughs> so, um, so I, I was only in recon for a little while. Um, I got hurt in a parachute jump and um, smashed my leg. And uh, the Marine Corps doesn't give you a whole lot of time to heal. If they say, all right, broken leg, six weeks, they gave you six weeks. That's it. The next day, I'm doing a Marine Corps PFT and airborne PFT. So I kept having stress fractures around the crack, the break. And you're carrying a rock and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't healing right. So I found it to the point where we can do an operation. And it, may, it may fix your leg, but it may make you a cripple when you walk with a cane rest of your life. I was 22 years old. Canes aren't sexy at 22 years old. So I'm like, yeah, I have a cane. I'm never going to lay it in my entire life ever again. No, thank you. Now, was there a conflict going on at that moment in your military career? Uh, just right, I, I got out right after Desert Storm. So I did stuff with Desert Storm and else. Um, and then that, that was that was about it. it was the, They were sending guys over to Sarajevo and stuff like that, and I was supposed to go to that. And then we were training for some of the jumps for that, and that's when my, and I had a, had a, had a parachute all up incorrectly, and I hit the ground a little too too fast too hard. And um, so I just smashed my leg. It actually drove my the the tibia through the front of my leg, through my through in fact through my camis, and my my buddy comes running up to me. I'm on the ground, hit the ground, the tarmac pretty quickly, um, knocked the wind out of me. Of course, a little stunned. Um, to add insult to injury, the wind was coming across the LZ. I didn't get a chance to get up and jump on my chute, so opened up my chute and drug me across the runway. <laughs> Your flailing leg. So. And all of a sudden, I've got one of my one of our guys who's our door gunner. Uh, a guy named uh, the Garma comes over to me. and He goes, um, looks down. He goes, "Oh shit! Don't look at your leg." Most the first thing you do, you look at your leg. <laughs> There's this bone sticking out with blood. And I'm like, "And he goes, uh, we'll fix it." So they duct tape my leg. Typical Marines, mm-hmm. and uh, just close it down, duct tape it, and then medevac me out. Get to the hospital. Navy doctor tells us, "Look, you stupid Marines." Cuts down the duct tape, and all of a sudden the bone pops out again. He's like, "Oh, all right." So. Got pins in my leg, all that kind of good stuff. That doesn't look so. like a ready in six weeks kind of an injury. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, uh, but it's just one of those things. So, uh, well, the discipline from that and the fact that I got to do something extremely difficult as being a underdog my entire life was pretty significant for me. Um, the hard part about that was here was being part of one of the most elite units in the military. Um, and now I'm being separated from that. So when that was your identity and you're being taught that the mission, how the mission works or else and the mission forward and you become a civilian. Um, man, I struggled, uh, in civilian life very, very badly. Um, 
I got fired from countless jobs for he's not having the right attitude for, you know, we'd get to work and 20 minutes later, a guy's like, yeah, man, bitching about a smoke break. And I'm like, what out of your fucking mind? <laughs> you know, so I grew my hair out and everything else did everything that was completely anti-Marine and realized that, you know, trying to, trying to beat that out of me and take it out of me. And because it wasn't, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't. And come to find out later on in life, you can't do that. It's always with you. So, and the discipline is there and it's good and it serves you for a good purpose. And trying to just rip that from your body is not good in any way, shape, or form. It causes more problems than, I mean, it caused me issues in relationships. You know, you name it. It was just wasn't healthy. Well, so. I mean, that transition is something that I hear over and over and over again. And we see it in the fire service. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, being fired, retiring, you know, moving to maybe a department where there's no culture anymore and you realize you made a bad mistake, if even promotion from a mm-hmm. crew to a desk. Oh, yeah. But especially when you transition out of the profession, you had that tribe, you had that community, you had Correct. that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, in a good organization, you had a great environment. In a bad organization, maybe you're glad that you got the fuck out of there. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's still who you were. And you became a Marine you know, but that was a that was what you did, not who you are. And of mm-hmm. course, you carry that pride out. I don't call myself retired. I'm yeah. still a firefighter. Yeah. If I pass something on the way home, I'm going to respond the same as I always would. It's how your mind is. But when you're taken from that tribe and you're on the outside now, I mean, I, I talk about, I don't know how some of these guys, as we talked about before we start recording, that do 30, 40 years deal with that moment that their ID yeah. doesn't work anymore. When the yeah. bay, do- bay door closes behind them, that's it. Yeah. They're on the outside now. And there is no veteran status or anything in the fire service to take care of you once you're out you're out you you are you're not anymore it's just one of those things yeah it's just when that when that no matter what we say you know when you're we all hear the line you're either you're either on the job or into the job or whatever different things there's different ones you know there's we've i have a really hard time when i teach for our department and i tell people you have to make the mind up you know if you're going to be an, an employee or a fireman. There's a difference. You know, we have plenty of guys that clock in and clock out, and I've done 25 years of clocking in and clocking out. All right, and have the same certs that I started when I started school. Um, they might have done the, the ones needed to get the next pay increase, but there's been never any buy into what the job is. And they spend their shift thinking about fishing or, you know, or, or whatever it is that they enjoy doing that's not the fire service. And I find that to be a complete shame because it steals what the good things about the job are. Especially this person's any kind of leadership role. It robs whoever they were should be mentoring of that gift. You know, if that if your officer's always thinking about is, you know, hey, I'm 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 a fishing kind of guy and I love and you can give me all the best knowledge about fishing, but you haven't given me one thing about useful to me on my job. Great, awesome! You know, can't wait to go fishing tomorrow. You know, so it's sad. Yeah, and there's a happy medium. I think the the other side of the spectrum is the man or woman that's so eaten up with the fire service that that's all they talk about, and they wear all the fucking you know attire when they're on the days off, and that is is dangerous because those are the ones when they transition out for whatever reason are really going to struggle because you've completely lost yourself in the facade of the Kurt Russell, you yes. know, spank bank version of oh, the firefighter. Yeah. When, and it's, it's funny to say that there's this, one of the hardest things to find in the fire service, if you enjoy it and if you're, and if you are, are told by your peers, you're good at it is balance. Um, because you can, you can go down rabbit holes 
and be so in tune with everything and so where you're you're watching fire porn all the time or else and you're doing this you're learning this you're learning that learning this and learning that and that will take away from the good things in your life that are around you your children your wife um one of the things you should have to me was um um my wife is as everyone too she's just one of the most incredible most people i've ever met in my entire life she is she's amazing and um, she's very good about schedules and else and very good with, with sharing me with my passion. And um, I've been teaching them a couple of different places, um, teaching with the fire department, with, with my own department as the cadre for our new hires. Um, fools, you name it. I was there. Guys would say, hey, man, can you help teach a class? I got you, man, no problem. You know, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so my wife ended up one day, she puts in a calendar. She says, um, we use Google Calendar together. And she says, hey, you've got another, you've got another conference coming up. I'm like, oh, all right, okay. I must have forgot about it. You know, she's good at checking on things. Hey, are you part of this one? Are you doing this one? Okay. Here, you got an invite to this one. Are you doing it? Yes or no? I said, okay. I said, just, all right, I'll look at it later. She's like, okay. So I take a moment do something. I was involved in something else. I look at my phone and I look at it. And it says, conference with Cheryl, your wife, for three days. Man, I couldn't have felt any lower. And I just pretty much dropped me and said, honey, I'm sorry. She says, I, she says, I love that you're good at the job and you're passionate about it. And I love that you make people around you better. She says, I, she says, it's not, she says, I know you don't feel that. She says, but I hear it from other people. She says, people come to the hospital all the time and says, man, I love being around your husband. He's this, he's motivating. He's, he's funny. He's mate. He does this. He does that. She says, so you don't hear it. You're not supposed to, but I hear it. She says, so I, I love that. She says, but I would like some time too. I'm like, man, you're, you're right. And I thought he was managing it. And then you realize that you're not. And you're like, all right, it's a little bit of a wake-up call. You know, wasn't anything that's going to be detrimental to my marriage. It's just a case of putting that in perspective, you know. So my my kids were the same way when I was, uh, um, Cheryl was actually my, my third wife. My first wife was uh, my high school sweetheart. Um, we just grew up hard. It was the easiest divorce ever, <laughs> honestly. Um, we were, it was, I was just got out of the Marine Corps. And um, we're sitting on the couch one day with Orlando, and we're looking at each other and we're like, is this, is this it? Is this marriage? Yeah, it's probably a little more than this, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <sighs> you want to get divorced? Yeah. <laughs> sure. But we, we, had no kid. we had no not? kids. We had no <laughs> kids. Um, together, we had no bills together. We had our own separate accounts. We were just, it's like two roommates, you know? And so we, we got divorced. And it just, we had become two, I think, when you become from the ages of your, once you become 25, you're kind of who you're going to be. Um, we'd gotten married at 1920 mm-hmm. and we were just become two different people than we thought with the life experiences we had from the military to her being a Marine Corps wife. But she spent a lot of time here in Orlando. Um, cause I was, I was gone a lot. So it was that, you know, uh, dated around a little foot long. And then I married my wife that I have my two sons by and, um, we spent 13 years together and then, uh, it just didn't, it just didn't work. So we'd become same way. Um, she'd become very career oriented, detail oriented, and else. And I was trying to do the same thing with here, and it was just a disconnect, and some other different things that happened or else that are they're not here nor there. And we just didn't really like each other anymore at all. And it was becoming really evident in front of the children, which isn't healthy. So we ended that, um, and now I'm with Cheryl, who's just absolutely. I, I've never met, it's funny, I've never met anybody like her. She's probably one of the most genuinely, same thing you said about your wife, one of the most genuinely nicest people that I've ever met that has zero agendas, like none. Yeah. 
she does things for good of her heart. And I'm like, please don't ever lose that. How did you yeah. meet her? Um, she was a nurse that she worked at when it was Monroe. She worked at Monroe. So you were transporting? Yeah. So I was transporting. I was on the rescue. <laughs> and I was, it's funny because we joked around one day when I was married to my wife and I said, I told one of my partners, Kyle Grace, I said, I was on rescue four. I said, man, I said, uh, I said, man, if I said, if I was ever single, man, I'd, I'd, I'd go on a date with her. And he was like, really? She's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's because show's pretty goofy. And, um, so, um, and that was about, that was all that was ever said. And then one day it was oddly enough. My wife is very good with, um, She's actually, from what I understand, a lot of guys will talk to her. Um, she's very good with uh, the, the PTSD and, and, and depression. She's very good at talking to guys. And she's actually talked to quite a few guys in her department, helped them with different things. She won't tell me about it. And uh, it's funny, I usually get a, hey, do me a favor, can you check on so-and-so today? I'm like, all right, I don't ask. I just give this to, hey, man, you doing all right today? Yeah, I'll tell you what's going on. I just, I just figure to give you a call and see if you're doing all right. All right, cool. Yeah, man, just getting ready to do this. I'm like, all right, well, have a good one, all right, stay safe, okay. That's it. You know, I was like, all right. This was a little cue for my wife to say, hey, just check on that person. Mm-hmm. And, um, good for her. So uh, I was going back and forth one day, and I was usually, usually pretty boisterous stuff and doing goofy stuff in the ER. And one day she posted aside, she was like, are you okay? It was my wife and I were having a lot of problems. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, because I would never talk to any other, any other one about marital problems. That's just, that's a no-go. And she says, um, are you sure? She says, I'm, I'm a little worried about it. That's why she says, you're not your normal self. She's picking up on some cues of depression. She was, your eyes are, she was, there's the little light and the little glows in your eyes is, is going out. She was, go get help, go see somebody. I was like, I'm fine. She was, uh, she was just, just, just go see somebody. Just go talk to somebody. And um, she was, you're losing weight. She was, you're not, you're happy to look like yourself. She was, you're, you're really not paying attention to certain things you're doing. She was, you're a better medic than you've been lately. She was, just go talk to somebody. And I was like, all right. So I started seeing talking to someone else. And lo and behold, there was a depression issue. And I was like, oh, that I didn't think because, well, I can't be depressed. I was a Marine. I'm a fireman. You know, um, I'm a Scott. You know, I'm practically a superhero. Yeah, you can't be depressed. <laughs> we don't get that. That's, that's garbage. That's nonsense. You know, so I was in denial of that whole thing. And then when I'm talking to the guy, I was like, do you know, doing this? Well, yeah, but no, no, just, just, and just check the checkboxes. Yes or no. He's okay. Here you go. Here's all the th- 10 things lead to depression or from depression. You have eight of them. He goes, do you drink? I'm like, Scott, of course I drink. He's like, more so than you should. I'm like, well, I don't, don't know. I'm Scott. I've got two levers. I don't think it's more so than anything, you know? So it was one of those things. It's kind of a, a, a wake up call. It's a little bit of, a, hmm, you know, well, how do we fix that? You know, so uh, it was she'd kind of just touch base with us and, you know, please, please, please get better. If you're not your same guy, get better. You know, so it was one of those things. So it was, oddly enough, she picked up on that and then we just started talking and um, we started dating after my wife and I got separated. And um, it just one of the best things that happened to me in my life besides my kids. So, which I'm pretty happy about. So, I, we're joking about she saved me. She's like, nah, I'm pretty sure you saved me from doing something stupid. So we have a laugh, we have a laugh about that. Well, I mean, I've talked about this recently because, I mean, there's an evolution of my understanding, my knowledge of all these incredible people I get to talk to. Um, and when there's an acknowledgement of the potential for mental health challenges in the fire service, the I think the discussion is, oh, look out for your brother, check on each other, which... 
Absolutely. The problem is, if you and I have been on the same amount of time, we're getting as fucking tired as each other. We're seeing more and more trauma as we go on. And so we're the worst barometers, really. But our own family and even, you know, to a, to a degree, and it's the first time I've heard this kind of story told, but it might be the ER physician or nurses or whatever, but people that don't see us all the time, especially our family. Someone said to me, oh, you know, the, the first person I heard say it, it was like, yeah, I asked my wife, how do you think I'm doing? And I'm like, God, I've never even thought about putting it that way. Ask your family, how, how, am I, how is daddy doing? Do I seem as happy as I, as I normally am? Well, no, daddy, you, you kind of seem to shout at me a little bit, you know, more than, than you ever did before. What a powerful perspective, what a powerful mirror into how we're actually doing because from the inside looking out through our sleep-deprived, you know, traumatized world that, you know, is the typhoon in our mind, how the fuck are you supposed to really figure out how you're doing when you can't even think clearly in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, and I had, I'd, like I said before, I'd, I'd been bullied pretty much my whole life through my cousin and else and, and up to, you know, to uh, a teenager. Um, you know, these ones that always blocked everything away and everything else, I kind of fortified myself against certain things. Or I still have the issue where, as um, we always look at certain things with certain calls, we're kind of broken inside. And um, I don't know if it's something that is permanent or, or is it's just so you just block out. I've had like most first responders knows most most firemen knows bad calls that you know that would shake most people to the core that don't seem to to bother me i just it's just i block it out of my mind or else and it's I, I make it very very sterile i guess you could put it you know um when i was with uh at station four we'd uh with my partner Congress, we had multiple child drownings you know, to the point where we brought one to hospital one time and everything else, and I was covered in vomit for trying to get this kid back and everything else. I was, I was just, just, I just looked like garbage, and uh, just throw up and everything else. And uh, our chaplain came up to me and says, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." He was telling me this is like number four in a month. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, I know." I said, "Sucks for you know, just yeah, it sucks." And Chaplain Joe's like, you know, he's like, oh, I was calling Father Joe as a laugh about it because growing up Catholic, I call him Father Joe. And um, he's like, you know, I'm not a priest. I'm like, no, I, I know, but just you're still, you're clergy, you're, you're not a priest to me. So he's a, he has a laugh. But he asked me, he says, um, you okay? I say, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, what makes you say you're fine? I'm like, they're not mine. My kids are at home safe. And he's kind of looked at me. I said, that's my rationale. I said, I'll go home. I said, I'll call the wife. Let's talk to the boys. I'm good. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, Father. I didn't cause that. That's my rationale. I didn't mm-hmm. cause that. But when you take a step back, even though that's a good story to tell yourself, mm-hmm. especially in the moment mm-hmm. when you have to perform as a firefighter and as a paramedic, mm-hmm. when you take a step back, how much do you actually believe in that story that you're telling yourself, that right. it doesn't bother you because it's not yours? I know. And it's the thing about how you have to. And that's one of those things. That's that armor that we all talk about. We put on as an armor. Mm-hmm. You have to. You know, um, one that I knew medic, we had a, a case with a, um, a child abuse case and I made the papers and stuff like that. And he's, uh, he calls me at 10 o'clock at night. He's trying to write the report. And he calls me, he says, uh, hey, uh, he calls me, he's called me Tombone. He says, uh, hey, uh, I'm writing this report for that, 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 case, that, that call. And I said, yeah. He says, um, and he used the, the, the baby's name. I said, all right, stop that right now. Don't do that. Okay. It was, I said, no, no, don't do that. I said, hang up for me. 
call your wife, talk to your girls. I said, just read your kids a bedtime story tonight. Do the report in the morning. So I said, leave all that stuff out. Leave all the things that are else. I said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, you're making it personal. I said to me, and I, I as my word of advice then was, it's going to haunt you. Don't do that. You know? So, uh, you know, and, and one of the good things, one of the bad things I'd say, my first marriage, my, my, the marriage with my sons, was one of the reasons I think led to her demise was the inability to communicate on, on those things. It was, my wife was like, as long as I was saving kittens from trees or, or, or doing good things, good. Don't tell me about anything bad. And, and you don't, you know? So I would come home with that bottled up, you know what I mean, having these horrible things. And uh, my wife would go, do you have a good day at work? And I'd go, yep. Yeah, nothing, nothing happened. Boring day. Okay, good. That's what I want to hear. That was my marriage. As with Cheryl, she's a trauma. She's been a nurse for an ER nurse for twenty two years. She was a trauma nurse. She's done this. She's done that. That stuff doesn't face her because she deals with another end of it. So we can have an open dialogue about stuff and all sort. And so that kind of was a, in a way of a therapy in its own. You know, she'll come home with stuff that actually bothers her, and I'm like, wow, that really bothered you. You know, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, this is usually it doesn't, but this one, this one kind of got to me." You know, so you it was can never tell which one's going to as well. You you don't know. So, a, so the guy who's the, the um, he's actually the president for Fools International, Ben Flagel, out of Fairbanks, Alaska. Him and I were talking after um, it's going to be a weird transition. Um, Maddie Negley's um, suicide, and uh, so we were talking about it, and uh, we went to funeral stuff a lot because that affected everybody. That was a huge. Uh oh, to the fire service. Because here's this guy that had everything. Who, and I use air quotes, the last person we thought would have killed themselves. 100%. How many people you heard say that? Every single one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, in fact, it's one of those things when I got the news, I'm like, are you sure you got the right negley? Nothing against Steve. I was just like, because Maddie was Maddie. So when you heard it, when you heard it, I sat down. And I was in complete disbelief. I'm like, surely the reports are wrong. You know, so um, so Ben and I were sitting talking about it. I'm like, is it, do you go through your whole career and, it, and, it, and you don't think you've got any, any demons? You know, all of a sudden they come up under the bed? You know, I mean, how's that work? He's, he's like, I don't know. Never really thought about it. You know, it's like, it's just one of those things we keep, we keep locked away. When, um, as you as you're well aware, Amelia Rivera. Um, so he was at 33 with me. I was his driver, and uh, him and I were pretty close. And um, him and I had lo lots of talks, lots of talks. And um, he's throwing around. He had the bracelets. And I don't have his on today, which shame on me. Um, with a couple of guys that were his friends and are now his comrades in the Marine Corps that get, that, that died or whatever. Because he and, saw combat in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, he was he was a gun bunny and um, so uh, artillery gunner, <laughs> and um, so um, we used to, I used to give him a hard time all the time. So and um, I asked him one day he was saying something, and he got a new one. And this is right before, of course, what happened. And I said, um, I said, is that what your whole deal is? Because he would hit it, and he says, as everybody knows, he drank a lot. And um, is that your whole deal? You want to see your, you want to see your name on a bracelet? Is that what your whole deal is? And he got yeah, F you give him, blah, blah, blah. Him and I would get into fights. I mean, you know, just, you know, knock off. And I tell him I expect more of him being here because he's a sergeant in the Marines. And uh, amazing individual. I mean, absolutely. 
Um, amazing, amazing guy. I had so much going for him. But the trauma else was going on inside him. He couldn't get out of his own way. But we, we talk about potential, and I, and I, I talk about it tongue-in-cheek, is, you know, a rock has the potential to be a complete deadly weapon. But something has to act, act upon that, or it's ever going to be for it's just ever going to be a rock if no one grabs it and throws it. Emil was the same way, amazing potential that was all bottled up like a spring, but couldn't go anywhere because it was too busy having too many other squirrels and ghosts to activate it. Um, when he would teach something, Tim and I, Tim and I would teach him stuff, and we'd include him in the training. Like, all right, you teach this part of, portion of it. Man, that kid had so much energy. And, and passion and just you'd watch him and he'd do his little bit and he would do it just with this energy that was just he was like his own, we always, he was a professional hype man and he would just go on and on and on it was amazing and um but the same way when him and I would talk about it and um when a couple of guys would say about if only he'd have called if only he'd reached out at that moment in time the last thing you're talking about is making a phone call on anybody else. Let's let's not kid ourselves, okay? You know, it's easy to say, just reach out, call this number. No one gives it. When you're at that point and you're that in that deep hole looking up, you're not thinking about anybody else. You're not thinking about calling anybody. You're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're like, I just want this to stop. I just want to stop hurting. I just want to stop feeling miserable. I just want to stop feeling lost. That's all you care about. There is no, hey man, I'm feeling down today. You know, and um, so it's one of those things where, you know, and then you'll hear, well, cowards do that. Really? You take a load of firearm and put it to your head or your chest and you're, all of a sudden, you're deemed a fucking coward? No. Because you're pushed to your breaking point. Your mind said, I can't take it anymore. You know, so I don't know how we bridge, and you're big into it. I don't know how we bridge that. I don't know what we do with that. I, I, I really don't. I'm at a loss for how we stop that because veterans are the worst for it and, 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 and firemen. Getting the help, saying you have a problem. Hey, man, I see something. Go talk to somebody. So if we had this conversation eight years ago, I'd be scratching my head too. Mm-hmm. But with this incredible journey that I've found myself on with everyone from, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists and mm-hmm. that that field all the way through mm-hmm. to SAS, Delta, mm-hmm. Marine Recon. I just had Rudy Reyes the other day, Marine Recon that was in Generation Kill. Mm-hmm. That's basically based on his, you know, his real experiences over there. Um, it's completely shifted my mind and given me some understanding. So to go, to kind of pull some of the points that you had, um, firstly, the cowardice thing. When I started interviewing people that had been there with the gun in their hand, again, uber dangerous type A, alpha, you know, however you want to describe who you would revere, that person with a gun in their mouth, a phone call stopped them. Or, you know, like Kevin Hines, who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. So he could report what the fuck went through his head at that moment. Um, Emma Benoit, a teenager that shot himself, shot herself and survived. Now she's in a wheelchair, but, um, and it, there was some real fucking resounding truths amongst all these things. So firstly, 
And sleep deprivation is absolutely a fucking amplifier for this problem. And you work for an agency that has no Kelly Day, woefully understaffed, working your men and women, just like Orange County when I got hired there and actually Anaheim when I got hired there too, um, working them into the ground, 80 plus hour weeks, up every third day or two out of four days, you know, whatever it ends up being, well, sorry, two out of three days. Um, But the brain becomes miswired. Childhood trauma, trauma is a huge thing that we have to talk about first. What happened to you and me before we ever put the fucking uniform on? Like I, you see in the book, um, I had a house fire. I was almost killed in the house fire when I was four. Um, almost had a wall kill us. It crushed a bunch of cars right next to us um, when I was probably more like eight. Parents divorced. I mean, there are things. Do I? Do they own me now? No. But I was also blessed with so many positive completely accidental unintentional things that allowed me to heal from those early before i kind of ended up here but i would be interested to see what happened to emilio in his formative years forget the marines and if you know that was a compounding element a seed that was growing way before he ever put you know the, the marine uniform on but then the cowardice so you mentioned the pain ending that's absolutely one part but the other part which i think is less discussed when there's this miswiring and i always describe it like this if you and i go to you know let's say we stand on the aerial 100 100 plus feet and we you know went to climb up and stand on the very edge of the bucket there'd be a big invisible hand pushing you down going what the fuck are you doing get back get down that's a normal healthy brain the brain becomes so miswired from trauma, organizational stress, regular relationship problems, sleep deprivation, you know, psych meds, alcohol usage, all these compounding things as perfect storm, that it actually tricks the individual in believing that they are a burden to the world. They're a burden to their family and they will be better off without them. Healthy brain understands that doesn't make any sense at all. You're going to amplify the pain and leave it with the people that you love the most unhealthy brain says by you removing yourself from this world you'll take the pain away from your family and that and so then you frame that as cowardice it's terrifying but it's a selfless act at that moment even though the brain isn't actually thinking clearly so that is one of the 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 few things that i think we need to talk about we need i don't know if you had the same when you got hired i've worked for four departments and each time Three of the four, I had to do a bullshit polygraph test, which I lied my way through all three because I'm not going to be a fireman and have never done any cool shit before I started. So come on now. I haven't done anything bad, but I've done things that are technically illegal. And then the psych test, the hundreds of thousands of questions that you have to check, 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 check. Mm -hmm. And they sneak those little do you like kids, you know, those absolute smoke and mirrors. And all it is is to go, well, you know, we checked Tony psychologically and he was fine. Therefore, we have no blame for what he just did. Take that same money. And as you hire new hires in that first, you know, probationary six months, whatever you've got, put them through five sessions with the counselor. They might purely just develop a relationship with a person they might need 10 years from now. Or they might actually be able to start addressing and unpacking things that happened to them before they ever came. I mean, I can say this because Chad, you know, spoke publicly on the podcast. Chad Belger, uber respected, revered individual, smoke diver. Chad was, you know, sexually assaulted when he was a kid. He's a good friend of mine, yeah. Yeah. So... We're all looking like, oh, what call was it that did it? Well, if yeah. you're not talking about what happened to yeah. you when you were a defenseless child, you're missing the point. Yeah. 
So there's a good chance, I would think, that if you look at Emilio's upbringing, something yeah. it could be, it could be something horrendous, you know, or it could be something simply as, you know, not feeling loved, which I've had on as well. But yeah. if we're not discussing that whole conversation, and equally, if not more importantly, if we're going to ask a firefighter to be awake for 24 hours. We have to give them the time to recover from those shifts, which is why I harp so much on this show. 2472 should be a fucking industry standard. You would think. And then that's it, cap. Like, you know, that's it. We're not running anymore, you know? Like, you can't force people. Maybe a 12. Yeah. You can't. 48 without sleep is so dangerous for us, and it's so dangerous for the people we serve. And, and, the, well, the, and then the, the problem we have is, at the end of the day, it has become, public service has become a business. As you and I both know, uh, the trucks have got to run no matter what. There's there's no excuse for the the public and everything else. That's the that's what you're told. That's what the line they give you, you know. And and you buy a whole light sinker because well you you took an oath and everything else. And this is what you're going to do. Um, and, and I get it, you know. So, but for me, for my man or else, when I'm say I'm a company officer and um, I've got great men, and um, my guys are my guys are phenomenal, and um. I, I like I can't say enough good things about them. I really can't. And so if they're just worked a forty or a guy from from C shift is going to work a shift, I don't I got no problem. The guy taking a nap, you know. You, you, especially if you got their butt kicked that night, man. Take a take a nap. I don't care. You know, if if she comes and goes, why is he sleeping? Because I said he can. Take it up with me. Because he just got his butt handed to him last night. Doing their facilities, a bunch of other stuff. I'm letting him take a nap. All stuff's done. Truck's checked off. Everyone's good to go. If you get a call, you got an answer. So what? No difference him being in the bathroom, taking a shower, than him being in the bed. If you were in Afghanistan and in a fob, mm-hmm. and you walked in and you saw Marine sleeping mm-hmm. as an officer, but it, you know, between mm-hmm. combat, mm-hmm. would you be the first thing to be like, why are they sleeping? Let me feel the TV, see if it's warm. This is the bullshit that happens in the fire service. Why are they sleeping? Because they work a job where every third day they're awake for 24 hours, which is destroying them physically and mentally. That's why they're sleeping. If they weren't tired, if we had an environment that allowed them to thrive, you wouldn't see firefighters napping very much because they wouldn't need to. Yeah, you know, my guys don't do it during day and else as far as we're busy doing stuff and else. It's fine. We used to get workouts in. Or my guys are always about doing different workouts. Um, got a couple of guys getting, trying to go through smoke divers themselves right now, so they're out there just punishing themselves, um, doing stuff. And um, any other guys were usually getting stuff together, training or some of that. And um, you know, but it's just one of those things. Is, it's it's taking care of your men, and part of that is is making sure they've got the energy, making sure that they're focused. You know, making sure that hey man, we didn't run any facilities tonight, but God knows we're going to get some tonight. And chances are, that hospital right there is going to say we need somebody to go to Shans. You know, at three o'clock in the morning. You know, all right. I've been I've been going down a road in the bags of medic and all of a sudden my driver falls asleep. And you're like dinner report all of a sudden. Bang, 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 bang. Hey, wake up. Oh, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake. You know? Good lord. Come on, man. You know? Well, think about this. When you know, when we were coming up in the in the department, you know, if you were a good firefighter, you would study line of duty. You know, deaths and and near misses. If the courage had the department had the courage to actually report that, but as I've learned, the horrendous not only chronic effects of sleep deprivation but acute, 
now I start casting my mind back to the people that lost, got lost in a search, to the people that fell off the aerial, to the intersection wrecks. How many of our line of duty deaths are actually related to sleep deprivation? Well, and I, you'll see that a lot of that stuff, that doesn't come into the, the figures because then that puts too much emphasis on something the department could have done to combat that, which God forbid they be at fault. You know, and, and, and it's just, you know, you've got this, so that's a whole other um, thing you go on with that um, when you go against your mission statement. So, <laughs> as we know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the thing about Emilio, I mean, you, uh, Gary Peterson, who still works for us, or else his brother, I could go into great detail about the lifehood, the, 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 the childhood of Emilio. I have, I, I have enough knowledge of him. I know his childhood. I won't speak on it um, just because there, there's Gary who's a much better um, historian of it than I am. Well, I need to get Gary on the show. Yeah, and uh, he's uh, that kid, man. He is. Uh, I felt I felt for him because that kid um, was his biggest fan, and uh, so he's left to carry the torch and pick up, and uh, and so I was mad at Amelia because I was like, you had no right. And so I cussed that kid out, man, when I happened, and um, the sad part was, was um, when I was at Station Twenty Four, and uh. Our, our district captain, who's now battalion chief, Tom Reeves, comes in to me. He goes, hey, man, because I'm going to talk to you in the office for a minute. I said, I said yeah. I said, uh-oh. He says, uh, just, just, just you, if you don't mind. I was like, oh, shit. I said, all right. I said, well, boys, I said, uh, either I'm, I said, either I'm getting fired or somebody died like that, just not knowing, you know, like that. And uh, being a smart ass is what I was am. And I was for walking, and I saw Tom take a heavy sigh, and I'm like, uh-oh. All right. So I walked off, I said, right. I said, what's up? He goes, uh, he closed the door. He goes, uh, hey, um, they found Amelia this morning. And I went, of course they did. Hey, it shook his head, looked at me, what? And I went, Cap, it wasn't an if, it was a when. And he just kind of looked at me. He got, you know, like, and just, is this odd that you would say that? I'm like, no, it's not. Not when you knew him, like the people that are close to him know him. I said, if you'd paid any attention, that was a runaway freight train. Nobody knew how to stop it because he was, he was just, he was always going to do what he was going to do. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. He was uh, a very headstrong individual. Um, so it was, just, it was just one of those things. So I was like, all right. And, um, so I went. We had. To, I went down to Station Tens where he was at when when met the crews and stuff a lot. And I went and saw uh, Trussell, who was his lieutenant at the time. And um, he looked at me and I said, "He was his eyes were rolling up." And I went, "Don't do it. Don't do it in front of them. Walk to the side. We'll cry together. Don't do it in front of them." And I said, "Because they need you right now. You you." And that was that thing that I'd been taught by my grandfather, if you don't do that, you know? So I was like, all right. You know, it wasn't, I didn't care. Um, it's just a case of, you know, there's other things that had to be taken care of first. So the, the comment of, of it was a matter, it just was a matter of when, not if, was the thing that made a lot of people think. You know, um, he the weird thing was, him and I didn't talk that much towards the end when he went to 10. We'd gotten a big fight. And, um, I was in Chicago one day, like a week, but like probably like three days before, I was at the, I was at the dealership getting my truck serviced, and a phone call. I was like, "All right," I said. First instinct was, "All right, what do you need?" He's like, 
come on, man, it's not like that. And I was like, because it's always, hey, man, can I borrow a few bucks or, or you know, whatever. And um, I was like, I said, uh, what's up? He goes, no, I just want to talk, man. How's things, you know, man, I miss you being at 33 and everything else. Man, I know we got some arguments and stuff. You know, I'm sorry for this. And I was like, all right. I'm like, well, man. I said, it's just those things, man. Don't worry about it. It's two Marines just button heads on stuff. It's not a big deal. He was like, Roger that. You know, we joke around this and that. He goes, well, I just want to tell you I love you. I said, man, I love you too. I said, we need to get together and not have a beer. Just get together. He goes, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd like that. I'm not going to promise you without the beer, though. I said, well, I said, I, I said, well, at least we can try, you know. And joking around, he goes, all right, man. Well, hey, man, I love you. I'll talk to you later. Just want to say, hey. I was like, all right. And I was like, that's a weird phone call. That has haunted me. So I'm like, was that an opening for me to say, are you doing all right? I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was either. I, I'll you know? tell you why. I actually totally, this is why I love the diversity of the guests. So I was talking to Julian Pinot, who actually lost his brother to suicide, but he's a strength and conditioning guy. He's the founder of Strong Fit. And one of the episodes we did, he started talking about exercise and um, you know mental health and, and the, the nervous system. And he described, you know, you have fight or flight and you have, um, you know, the one, it was, I guess, flow, fight, flight, but the ones people forget about is freeze. Mm -hmm. And so he said that when you have the, the anxiety and or depression building up, that's kind of, you know, fight is your, you push it away, you, you, you know, you grow from it and you're okay again. Flight is you're obviously starting to succumb to it. Freeze is when you're overwhelmed he said, but then there's an acceptance that you're going to take your own life and now you're in flow. And so you hear a lot of people reported, Chief Dangerfield is one, um, Dustin Hawkins talked about him, where the days leading up to when they took their own life, they were in a better mood than ever. Yeah. So these people are kicking themselves. How the fuck did I not see it? Blah, blah, blah. Some of these people have already made peace yeah. and they're making phone calls exactly like the one you yeah. just described. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was one of those things, uh, one of my good friends, very close friend of mine is Julian Serrano, and it uh, affected Julian a lot, you know, and, and uh, so those two were, were... Didn't he call Julian with a similar phone call? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, yeah, him and I talked about it, and he says, uh, and Julian, a lot of times he says he blames himself, he goes, man, I, I should have done something, because I blew him off on some stuff, and I said, look, there was nothing you were going to do. I said, people need to stop blaming themselves for stuff that they couldn't do. I said, it's just that it's not how that works. It's a multi-layer systemic yeah. issue. And it goes back to, like I said, even even the the environment that we've created. And I just did a video about this about three or four days ago. This fake machismo bullshit, be a man, kind of what your granddad was buying into all those years ago, is taking away the ability for our children to speak. And we just had a suicide in town. I don't know if any of you guys went on it, but it was a um, 15-year-old boy, same age as my son. Um, and horrendous. And one of his friends and his father trained at my gym. And I sat down with him for a while and I saw the pain in this little boy's eyes losing one of his best friends. And I'm not saying that was the case in this particular thing, but it, it made me realize I see these people beating their chest and, yeah. you know, fucking participation trophy this and, you know, whatever, what's that word, the word, snowflake that. Yeah. Well, most of these people that are spouting that shit are pieces of shit in the first place. Yeah. They don't fucking walk the walk. They get tattoos, grow a beard and think all of a sudden they're a fucking, you know, <laughs> alpha. They're tactical. Yeah. But we are also even if you individually want to buy into that bullshit yourself you know and go spank yourself to rambo movies 
you'll create an environment for our children that's telling them it's not okay to reach out. It's not okay to be vulnerable. And then what happens when either they're still in high school or they grow up, just like you told me with, you know, with your granddad, you get this multi-generational element. And then we wonder why we have this epidemic today. Yeah. Well, it's, it's odd. You know, we, we talk, I was talking to Father Joe one time about it. You know, we have the thing about him and I were talking at dinner table one night. And um, he said, you know, I said, he says, we're talking about different things about PTSD and everything else and, uh, and emotions. And I said, um, you know, the, the thing, the phrase, so it could not be okay. I said, I'm so over that. And he goes, he goes, well, he goes, I think he goes, the problem is, is, is we've put a period into that statement instead of a comma. He says, what do you do after that? He goes, we've made it an open end thing where people are like, hey, it's, just, it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm not okay. It's okay. I'm, well, 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 yeah, it's okay not to be okay. Go get help or go talk to somebody, you know, go do something. But here's the problem I think we have, and especially in Ocala. Mm-hmm. People are like, okay, I get it. This is an issue in our profession. Now what? And like you said, and who do you, who do you people have? ask me, yeah, who do you have in this area? I'm like, almost yeah. no one. There's one yeah. woman I had, Tasha, on the show mm-hmm. who truly is a good fit, and mm-hmm. she is so um, demanded that she was off around the country helping the fr- first, yeah. uh, excuse me, the frontline workers during COVID. Yeah. I think she's in another country now helping another bunch of people. So we don't have culturally competent clinicians. No. And that's the problem is that everyone's doing push-ups and high-fiving each other. And yeah, suicide's a problem. Yay, yeah, come do yeah. a 5K with me. Well, yeah. that's not the fucking solution. Yeah. The solution is where is a network of providers that you can yeah. trust that when you sit in front of them, they're not going to burst into tears until you get out of their office as so many have done to people that have been on the show before. Yeah. We're, we're Uber away already. Okay. We, we have the awareness part. We got that part down. We're, we're good. Okay. Let's go to the help part. You know, and it's, it's funny with that because my, so my wife is when she's doing her nurse practitioner, she's doing a double masters. Why? Cause she's just a masochist, I guess. I don't know. But, um, and one of them is, is, is what she's doing in psychology and PTSD. And actually she's talked a couple of times with, uh, um, Rick George and his facility. So yep. he's like, you need to come down, Cheryl and come down. And he loves my wife to death. So he just thinks just the world of her. And, um, so he wants her to come down every now and, and he's like trying to get her involved. And so we're trying to do that. And she's trying to get involved with the department and, and things. So, in fact, she's actually supposed to talk to Caban about on peer support. And um, and so it's funny because he was like, well, I don't know, because, you know, your husband being a, a lieutenant with the department, she says, we do things different. We we're we have a joke about that. When guys will say about, you know, at the hospital say, you know, man, your wife got on my ass about it. I'm like, hold on. Was she jeans and a T-shirt or was she in scrubs? Well, I'm like, she's in scrubs. She's a charge nurse at Advent, not my wife. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. If you get disrespectful to the nurse, she'll put you in your place. You know, disrespect with my wife, I'll put you in your place. There's a big difference. <laughs> Either you way, know, but, if same she's, but if she's at work, you know, you'd much rather deal with, with her than me, trust me. Or I'd rather deal with me than her because she's pretty tough. But it's just, we've got these different things with that, you know, as, as far as the, the, the mental health stuff. And, you know, um, I went to a therapist that was here for a while. Don's gone. He's now in, moved back to Pennsylvania. And um, super awesome guy, like really. And it was when Shrug actually got me to go to this guy. And um, I was like, all right, sat in the office, first session, didn't say a word. And we just sat and looked at his guy, asked some questions, and it was like, all right. He's like, uh, so I hear, it's like, I have no idea. He's like, well, I, I do. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here because I was made to be here. He's like, ah. Uh. He goes, I think I've gotten this, this, the, this sense from you that if you weren't going to do something you didn't want to do, you wouldn't be here. So you, are, you made the first step to be here, so let's talk. So we just 
first three sets, we just BSed. And then things started to come out in Ernell. So then come to find out, like, your, your stuff from my parents, from my mom and Ernell, so growing up as a single child in Ernell, and, you know, being just, uh, growing up poor in Ernell, so those things come into play. Like you said, the childhood trauma, different things. Uh, we have a laugh at um, regressing right back as a kid. My... <laughs> My mom bought me, and you will know. Uh, you remember the old tomahawk bikes that had the banana seat in them? Yeah, I, yep, know, I do. Like the chopper okay. type thing. There you go. Yep. Remember the chopper? It had the shifter on it. Oh yeah, in the middle. So my, so my mom had gotten one though. She saved up and else to get me one of those. So I got this bike and else, and I used to live in a really bad area of Greenock. And um, so I was outside day after Christmas riding my bike around. One of the kids is like, "Hey, I want that bike." And I went, "You can't have it." He was asleep. Grabbed me by the face, pushed me off the bike, and took the bike. Rode around me in a circle as he kicked me. So I ran upstairs, my mom crying. And uh, I said, Mom, he, he took my bike. And um, she said, Go get it back. I went, He's bigger than me. She says, And I'm bigger than him. I went, Well, she's like, You either go get the bike back or I'm going to whip your ass. So I was a, lot, a little more afraid of my mom. Uh, so I went downstairs and this kid just, I was like, Give me the bike back. Give me my bike back. When he came back. So I ran up, pushed him, picked up a brick, and started smashing this kid's face in with a brick. And um, to the point where my friends, one of my friends were up to my mom and said, Mr. Rosanne, Tony's going crazy, he's going to kill this kid. And I was, I said, my mom told me to get the fucking bike back. <laughs> I just beat this kid with a brick to submission. And um, my mom was like, Jesus, I had to go grab me off him. And um, so, was, you know, and my mom was like, what the hell are you thinking? I'm like, well, you gave me the ultimatum. I, I I was I wasn't coming back to you saying I couldn't get the bike back because you were gonna I've been beat by you before I don't like it you know so um you know, so I had trouble for that you know so oddly enough people left me alone for a little while because I was crazy so but um those are things I had to end up used to always like do those kind of things as a kid to get situations so and I think that's why I gravitated was the Marine Corps because it was the toughest branch so I was like okay I need to be in the toughest branch because I'm I'm this. You know, so yep. whole, my, my whole life I've been this. I'm trying to always be bigger. So, you know, I'm not any bigger yet. I just keep getting shorter as I get older. <laughs> so it's uh same thing when you're big into the fitness stuff. Um, you know, the thing about aging and stuff, I, I remember you talked one time about talking about you're trying to do stuff, you know, like stem cells and stuff like that. And, you know, um, man, this the sleep deprivation, the shifts, as far as your body trying to re- recuperate, the older you get, it's brutal, as you all know. I had a chief um, I just spoke to because Boynton Beach is about to go to 2472. Okay. And so they're just they're working out the kinks now. So in the in when it's all done, which hopefully is the end, towards the end of the year, well, I'm going to have one of the guys coming on and just telling the story. Like, how did okay. you get it? And there's even, from what I understand, they're, um, they're pushing to get medical marijuana approved okay. on the days off, not yeah. smoking while you're, you know, transporting. Yeah, no, no. But, yeah, no. but um, yeah, so very progressive. And, and it's it's amazing. I mean, the backstory is they were spending so much money yeah. on all the things that I talk about from overtime to, you know, um, workman's comp and all of the things that, yeah. that happened. So they were able to actually collate data and go to their, their um, city yeah, city. And I think the previous chief is now the acting city manager, which is kind of the same as um, Coral Springs, yeah. which is, uh, you know, another great progressive department. Um, but this previous chief was like, yeah, well, I don't think, you know, we're going to be able to 
asked him, well, what do you think about this concept you achieved eight years ago? He's like, yeah, well, you know, hmm, we'll see. We'll see if it works. And then, you know, my mind's like face palming by that point um, because the, the alternative is obviously far more work hours and more broken people. But he said, well, unless you can, you know, unless someone can prove to me that it will help with the injuries. I'm like, well, Here's the data. Yeah, newsflash. I can tell you right now they will. And I've had all these <laughs> experts on the show from, you know, the you CrossFit, go. osteos, all the way yeah. through to, you know, everyone in the branch, every branch of the military. And so that's it. There is no downside to wellness. But conversely, what you're in, what I was in for most of my career, is the opposite. Yeah. And we're spending so much money fixing, well, like band-aiding yeah. mentally and physically our responders. And so when you get someone our age, who's still a go-getter, who's training hard and working out, and you get the piece of shit and the lazy boy, oh, it's always the fit guys that get hurt. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because we're not given the time to actually re-reap the benefits, but what's the alternative? Being 300 pounds like you and not even be able to get up the stairs to rescue a kid? No, it's one or the other. So I'm sure you're carrying around injuries. I got two fucked up knees and a, oh, and a back injury that I'll I've have got, the rest of my life. I got two tears of meniscus right now and a something wrong with the LCL on the side and something else I'm actually supposed to go see the PA for today <laughs> to figure out so yeah and I'm they're like light duty I'm like no I can still walk I'm fine you know? yeah well and that's <laughs> the problem is that you know I get from an income stamp standpoint but to most people light duty it's kind of like we're talking about being taken from that tribe it is now yeah. you're sitting in an office I'm at a, a groin injury in, in um uh, when I was working for Orange County and I told my groin basically um and they had me like filing on the bottom cabinet of this and i'm like dude i've got a fucked up groin and you're yeah, gonna be kneeling over. down yeah, all day yeah. so yeah, yeah i ended up works? just saying all yeah. right and ever since then when i was hurt i was yeah. hurt and i'm like i will i'm gonna be pt cairo you know working back in the gym yeah i'll see you when i'm ready until then you can keep that's, your fucking light duty i'm sorry that's what i've been doing now and else i mean i just end up like guys laugh at me because we've we've a we've a whole thing and they they always tell me they'll be going to bed and go you're doing anything lt yeah if i don't get, i try to get a work on every shift all right, whether it be a chest, back, whatever. So I'll try to do something cardio-wise, whether it be the rower or something. Um, between all the other stuff we do as a lieutenant and all the other garbage. But if nothing else, before I go to bed every night, I do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and 100 sit-ups. That's my little routine. I do it every, at, religiously. It could be 1 o'clock in the morning, you know. Because if I don't do it, I feel like a piece of garbage. <laughs> I feel like I let myself down. So that's what I do. So when they're laugh, they'll like, they'll come out and see me like, you did your thing? Yep. All right, I'll tell you good night. You know, see you in the morning. Hi right, guys, you know, no problem. You know, so they have a laugh about it. How you do know. you partition the push-ups and pull-ups? So all I'll do is I'll do I'll I'll do ten. I'll just do ten pull-ups, drop down, stretch my arms out, do ten pull-ups. I'll do that straight, just ten, 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 ten. And then I'll do um, I'll push I'll try to do fifty at a time. And then that's just, impressive. Yeah, and then I just do my, my. That's I'm pretty good. I'm short arms, so I'm not far to go with the push-ups. So the funny thing is that we have a laugh because we've got the the fitness standard for Marion County. And with a, I've, I tore my elbow years ago. So my elbow doesn't straighten. My arm doesn't straighten out all the way. So when I do push-ups, are a little crooked. So I, so I can't extend all the way up. So I, we joke around about it. I can never be a smoke diver because I can't do extend, full extension from a push-up. So I've I, seen Marines do push-ups. They don't, they don't extend yeah, or It's I'll, like I'll this little halfway to, thing. <laughs> yeah, you go, those aren't push-ups. Well, the Marine, <laughs> with, Marine Corps is one of those pull-ups. You're not allowed, in, the Marine, in the Marine Corps, you're not allowed to do kipping pull-ups. So um, you start to keep a pull-up. So the guys will count one, one, one. You're at one pull-up so far, Marine, you know. Yeah. You've done 12. No, you've done one. You know, like I'm smoked, you know. So that kind of stuff. Uh, it was funny because when I went in Marine Corps, my mom laughed. She says, um, you hate running. 
why did you join the Marine Corps? I saw they did was run. <laughs> <laughs> well, stand on that just for a second. I just want to make sure we kind of walk you through. So when you transition out of um, the Marines and you, you had this injury, you were kind of fumbling your way through oh, yeah. it. And I totally understand it because I, mean, I was told in, in England that I could never be a firefighter, which I really wanted to do up to that point. I fumbled around for years and found my way back eventually, but um, that was from color vision. Right. You know? um, so talk to me where you, you know, what made you choose the fire service and walk me through kind of the departments to, to oh. get to where we are now. Oh, yeah. I ended up, uh, so when I got out, I did, um, I did, got out, meandered around a little bit, then did protective work, um, um, exact protection work for about two years. Um, thought it was going to be something that it ended up not being. That was more like glorified babysitting, um, which is crazy. Um, but I just closed out a weapons background. So did that for a little while. Worked for a company out of Vanson, Georgia. Um, did a couple different things. Um, then just went to like security work and stuff for a while. Did that. Worked for um, armored car companies and stuff like that for a while as a courier. And just kind of distanced myself from a lot of different things. But it was something that still had a little bit of something that was fun. And one day I was sitting there with my ex-wife and I said, um, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life, you know. I said, uh, I should probably just be a police officer since I know weapons, you know, and um, and I know tactics and stuff like that. Well, her ex-husband, her first husband was a police officer. She's like, you'd be a horrible cop. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, you'd, you'd be a horrible cop. And then I realized that I couldn't be on a SWAT team full time. I'm like, well, that's boring. That's the only thing I'd want to do, you know. And then um, so I was looking in the paper and I said, how about I become a firefighter? They're advertising firefighters. And um, so oddly enough, um, I went through the non-certified recruit process for Orange County had at the time. And uh, I was number, th I ended up going through that. I was number three on the list. Uh, I got an interview with Chief Plower uh, at the time. That was my chief when I was a blogger, uh, yeah? Yeah, it yep. was horrible. And um, so I sat there in front of that guy, since you know him. Um, and he asked me, he says, um, so what certification do you have? And I'm like, it's a non-certified process. I have zero certifications he's like well you don't have any your your, your first your cpr and i said N no sir it's we're civilians that you you put through a test i'm explaining to him his own process of what the department has he has zero knowledge of this process or so it seems he said well we're, you know what is it you bring to the table i said well i'm a former special ops marine uh i bring a great deal of discipline i'm in pretty decent shape um i'm good at following orders i'm definitely not going to embarrass you you know, being a little bit older. You know, by this time, I'm like 30, 33, 34 years old. And um, so uh, he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're kind of looking for somebody with, uh, with with some certifications. I was like, all right, I'm not getting this job, you know. So I left and um, talked to a couple of guys later on that was one of the recruiters. Was, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, um, just Jack Black guy was on your department, was your, was your recruiter and, and physical fitness guy. Um, real Mike, high, real high Mike energy. Adams. I think so. Real high energy. Um, he's like, uh, he says, uh, what happened? I told him. He says, are you kidding me? He he didn't even know our own process. I was like, yes, not. He's like, you're like number three on the list. He goes, I was gunning for you. I was like, well, I was gunning for the spot too. You know, I wanted to do something. So anyway, I was mad enough where I left his office and went and enrolled in uh, an EMT school at Seminole Community College and went through EMT school and went through fire school. And um, and then he called that guy calls me like six months later. He says, "Hey, just want to let you know, come to find out something." He says, "Uh, on that class, we hired three people. We hired number eighty on the list. We hired number one ten and number one fifty. 
I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And, and it was, it, there was, there was a minority hiring is what Orange County was trying well, to do. Well, you're Scottish. Yeah. How many well, Scots do they but, have? Yeah, you see that, that, that right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and when you look down their list, it's, you know, plaid is not, tartan is not a color choice. <laughs> Pacific Islander, but tartan's not in there. So I got a friend, my truck partner in California is from South Africa. Yeah. So when it said, are you African American? His mother's from Kansas. Yeah. So he's like, fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> and it didn't matter in that particular hiring, but yes, he's well, African American well, more so than, you know. Basil. Yeah. I, Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, then you look at him and go, you sure not Sicilian or Greek? You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's funny. But, uh, so I had to deal with that. I was like, all right, no problem. So I went through fire school and else. And, uh, I was grandpa going through fire school, I was 35 years old, went through fire school and, um, did fine. Um, obviously. And then, uh, so at the time everybody was on a hiring freeze. So no, I went back through Orange County's process. And I made it like through everything to, and I had the polygraph done. I was like, all right. And then nothing. I was like, okay. And guess. what year was this? This was in 2005, 2003, 2005, those years. And I was like, okay, nothing. It just like went dead silent. So I called them and they're like, uh, don't call us, we'll call you when, we're, when you move to the next step. You're still in the process. Okay. Meantime, the only person who was hiring was Marion County. So I end up with part of Marion County and get hired, you know, this and that. And uh, 10 months later, Orange County calls me back. Hey, ready for the next step of the process? I was like, that was 10 months ago. <laughs> Good Lord. You know, and by that I was already with Marion County. I had a bunch of fires. I'm like, I'm, I'm quite happy. You know, it's an hour and a half drive. Who cares? Because I, you know? I was when I was hired in um, Hialeah in 2004. Okay. So we were probably looking for jobs right at the yeah. same time. Oh, yeah. And there was nobody was hiring. And I was in Orlando too. I went to mid-Florida Tech. Yeah. So I went to Seminole Community was I went to Seminole Community College for night classes up there, and did and that, did that route. And um, so because Seminole County wasn't hiring, that was nobody was hiring. Uh, you weren't even if you remember when you went to if you tried to apply to Orlando, you went to Center Florida Fairgrounds. Yep, you had and, to uh, you had to be a citizen. You couldn't yes. be a permanent resident. Yeah, so I didn't qualify. You didn't qualify. Well, it's funny. We're there. It was like uh, you know, you go to this fairgrounds for Orlando, and they would have like a thousand people there, like fourteen hundred people, and they do it in two days. Yeah, 1,400, 500 people at a time. And they got to come out and go, if you have a speeding ticket, you can go ahead and you know, not bother applying. Like, Jesus, even a speeding ticket? You know, <laughs> I've got quite a few of those. So, yeah, so it was one of those things. So Marion County is where I started, and I've been there ever since. So, yeah, which was just a, an hour and a half drive all the time. So whatever, which is funny because I went from being a city boy to – my first station was the Ocala National Forest Station, Station Four. Oh my God, rainbow people! Oh, I when I was out of my element because I'm like I'm not a country boy at all. So we're going the second shift. I'm driving the engine, and I'm a lieutenant. We're going that road, and she's like, "All right, make a right." And I'm like, "Where?" She's like, "The streets come up." I'm like, "Where?" So we stop, and she's like, "That's it." I'm like, "That's two. That's an ATV trail." She's like, "No, that's a road." I'm like, "Oh God, I'm getting fired." You know, I'm just wrecking this <laughs> truck right now. You know, getting it stuck, all sorts of good stuff. So. So I managed to survive and, and, and do do okay, I guess. So, you know, now I'm going on, September will be my eight, start in 18 years. So it's been fun. It's been challenging. Um, keeping that little mouth of mine shut every now and then is when you're opinionated and you think you're right on some stuff, but, you know, it's good. <laughs> they wouldn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. <laughs> well, again, so you're in the fire service now. I had a very different path to you. I ended up Hialeah first, then Anaheim, California for a few years, Orange County, and then my last one, Reedy Creek. Um, so I had a, an amazing East-West Coast um, perspective, you know, 
truck company versus real truck company, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but also, you know, like a, a department that set the bar super high where they would cut 25% of the class. The attrition rate was, if there's the bar. If you don't reach it, then thanks, should for, be. thanks for playing all the way to the other side um, where you basically rode you know theme park rides for two weeks yeah and there was zero training yeah um, so you know very different but you stayed with one department so talk to me about marion county you know 18 years ago because i've seen the kind of growth of metamorphosis oh, wow. even yeah. since i've lived here but it must have changed an immense amount oh my god from, the department's come so far um, so what was it like and you know where are we today well to say the old department when i got hired like wild west is was definitely like that um it was, we were trying to hire, to, we were experiencing growth in our analysis and uh, that a new chief, uh, Cyril McIntyre was the chief at the time, and we had his 10-year plan, so we were hiring a lot of people. So they tried to open stations and stuff a lot, and they just went from, uh, there hadn't been a full career department for very long. So they're now, they're still getting to full stride of this, this full career department and trying to figure out the goings-on of that. Um, I remember going to Station 15, and the state, the but the, the truck they had at stage 15 up in Salt Springs was still, it's a KME half open cab. So I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? You know, you see these nice trucks in Orlando and Winter Park and everything else. And here I look at this thing with, there's nothing over the back of the, the cab. You know, I'm like, where do I sit? Right, right, oh, I sit back here. Okay. What if it rains? Oh, I guess I'm getting wet. You know, like, all right. <laughs> so we still had those trucks in service, you know, even though, and that was a lot of fun. Um, the department has changed so much just to their, their different mentality on different things as far as training, um, uh, how they have benefits for the personnel. It just, the mindset of the people we have, um, it's just to say that, that, that we've done a good job of setting a different standard. Um, even though the old guys we had, the mentors we had back then were different. I mean, I remember back, our, our cabins are going to see a fire and um, they get ahead of us in the SUV and the first thing they did was go around the, the house that was on fire and bust out all the windows because that's what they'd been taught. Well, if you think the clock was already running, well, you just freaking st- stop watching overdrive and now go, you know? So we'd learned a lot from that. And, you know, so you'd, you'd, you guys like Chief Rambage and stuff like that that were for those retired, went to the villages and come back to us, which was awesome. And he's the one that's like, hey, guys, we're not supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. Let's, let's get better. And brought a different mentality of training and, and professionalism to the department. So um, we've matured a lot. Marion County itself has matured a lot. When we took over the ambulance service, you know, there's a whole other thing that happened with us. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, it, it was one of those things where the burden of transport was on the county. So you had this whole thing where it changed people's mentality of what their function was anymore. And you have the ones that, oh, I'm on ambulance now. I'm, I'm not going to be a fireman anymore. You know, so with all the good things that brought to our department, there was this disdain that got brought to it also, uh, which is sad. Um, you know, you can be a good fireman, you could be a good paramedic, you know, contrary to what a lot of people think. Well, I've always said that. I mean, anyone... Anyone on the job now, pretty much. Yeah. When they got hired, you had to be an EMT and or paramedic yeah. first. Especially in Florida. So, so this whole Kurt Russell bullshit that I touched yeah. on before. Yeah. I always ask people, all right, rock star. Okay, so so you pull up and you make entry from your not clean cab because you're so yeah. fucking badass. Your yeah. carcinogen, you know, yeah. gear just, and you're fucking, you know, 
leather helmet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just, you're ready. You got mm-hmm. your mustache, you're, you're, you're on point. <laughs> you run in there, you do a search, you pull out the victim and they're laying steaming on the floor. Now what? That's it. Now what? Yeah. You're fucking useless. Yeah. You're a corpse remover if you don't have the EMS skills. So stop with that anti-EMS bullshit. To me, what's so much better than being a, a, a firefighter in Scotland or England, not better, but you know what amplifies it is I get to do all the EMS shit as well. Yeah, you that's, get to that's that. a plus. The, the part that was funny, we we're having a conversation with at 33, and um, Julian Serrano, which I love to bit, uh, awesome guy. And I was going on about this and this and this, about EMS and this and that. And, um, you know, and I said, here's the thing. I said, let me ask you something. I said, you can take all your tech classes and put them end to end to end. And they won't, they don't come up the same amount of time as paramedic school. All right. I said, your parents talk about you. They say, oh, my son's a, my son's also a firefighter paramedic. So the word paramedic is always on there. So usually they forget that the firefighter part. He's a paramedic and a fireman. I said because they do something that affects everybody. I said they don't tell you he's they don't tell you he's a tech rescue specialist. They don't your parents don't say that, or he's this or that. I said so. There's been very few divorces started over tech 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 classes or hazmat class. There's been plenty of divorces. I would divorce with paramedic someone school. if they were a hazmat technician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, the, the conversation would be boring. <laughs> and um, but, but yeah, <laughs> but I mean, as far as like, there's been marriages ruined over paramedic school. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a year of your life that is, is important. It's a brutal year, especially as yeah. in my case, I was going through a divorce and a yeah. single dad at the time, oh, riding God. with you guys for twelve hours yeah. and doing the the um, ORMC for twelve yeah. hours. And you talk about Wild West ORMC. Before they got their trauma unit. Oh, yeah. All that right, was, it was a free-for-all. I yeah. got to do so much. But yeah, that yeah. was a brutal year. I guess the only thing that saved my marriage was my divorce. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, as well as joking around about that, you know, why are divorce so expensive? Because they're worth it sometimes, <laughs> you know. And, um, but it's just, it's one of those things. I was like, so why do you, I said, and here you get this patch at the end that here now you've done all the hard work, you know, put all the time in and you want to shit on it. Mm-hmm. When that could be the one that makes the biggest difference. That's where you save lives. It's not even, you know, I've done, I've been on the engine where yeah. I respond and then there's a transport unit and yeah. we send them off. That The the rescue is where you save the lives. Yeah, oh, and that's the it. The transport is whether they live or die. And, you know, obviously yeah. there's some where it's too late and there's some where it was complete yeah. BS, a lot of it. But oh, yeah. it's the pre-code interventions that you make to set the ER up for success to determine if that person lives or dies. That is yeah. 90% of what we yeah. do. I mean, here's the thing. A bad a bad fireman can hide, a bad paramedic can't. All right, it's going to come out in the wash. You know, so you know it's just one of those things. You know, if if I tell you to put up a ladder, all right, do I critique you on how you put up the ladder? No, I just want you to get to the damn roof. You know, if you embarrass yourself with that, up to you. But I just want, at the end result, I want the ladder where it's supposed to go. If you do it fire school where you do some hip throw over your head, spinning back kick ladder throw, I don't care. Get the ladder up, but. If you do something stupid as a paramedic. Yeah, you eh, push the wrong drugs and yeah. you kill someone. Yeah, and then there's a whole lot of things that come in and put as a liability or as you lose license to lose your job and you could go to prison. I had you know? a guy on, David Hughes, who his son drew. Um, this was kind of like the ball started rolling in the hospital, but then it was the, the medic, um, an EMT, you know, that made the ultimate mistake. But they 
there was a communication. He'd fallen, hit his head with the skateboard, um, and he was only about my son's age again. Um, and they perceived him as combative. Well, he was just scared. He was a 15-year-old kid that had an accident. His, none of his parents were there. Sure. And so yeah. they decided to RSI him. No. A kid that's sitting there breathing and talking and everything. The paramedic gave him the paralytic, not the facet, and intubated his esophagus and drew fully aware, suffocated, looking at the paramedic staring at him. That is the responsibility that we have to own the EMS side as well. Yeah, it's a great responsibility, you know, and it's, and it's little things, you know, it's just, so it's just the EMS side of for Marion County has become very, we're, this is where we get into the big, the, the big discussion on different things as far as training, because my, 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 my station, we'll do a lot of stuff with, um, with, with them, because we're, I'm at station 30 with ladder one. So we do a lot of truck work, ventilation, where we train on a lot. So I'll get some guys from a, one of the outline stations. They'll give me a hard time, but oh, I get, oh, how much medical training do you guys do? We actually do a lot. Why? Because we run a lot of medical calls. We should be good at it. What we don't do is we don't run a lot of fires and a lot of different things, ventilation. So the skills that we don't use very often, you know, if I have stuff to teach how to use the BVM, when you didn't use one a lot, or you get your hands on one more often than not, that's sad. Yeah. You know? You probably don't need EC clamp training. Yeah, you know, know we, we, we don't need people. that. You know, backboard training stuff a lot. You know, new guys will go over how we want stuff done. But if I stuff to have, you know, something on this and this, you should be using your protocols every day. You're running the calls on it. You should be pretty good at them. Mm-hmm. But know? the perishable scales in the EMS, I mean, right, know, yeah. hanging dopamine and those kind of things. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll hold my hand up. Now I was out of the fire service, but oh, God. I tested to... Um, to be a teacher at the community college mm-hmm. here in the medic program. Yeah. And I totally bombed it. We don't RSI in Orange County. Yeah. So I hadn't since medic school. Sure. But regardless, if, if I wanted a job to teach it, I needed to know it. And then also I knew the kind of street method for dopamine, but I couldn't remember the mathematics and I blew both of those. Yeah. Now I don't have ownership of either of those two skills now as a civilian specifically, yeah. but had I still been working, those are things that should have been still concrete in my mind. And that's it. You know, we would go over stuff a lot. You know, we go over a couple of different things, that, you know. Um, and one of the things that, that we have with the newer kids and else, the, the newer guys who are coming in is demeanor and how to handle people and how to talk to people. And that is a skill that 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 is very underutilized and under um, preached as far as your demeanor and stuff a lot with, with people. Um, cynicism can be a horrible thing as 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 a provider. Um, it, so we just have that, and we got guys that come in the paragon, as you as you heard that said before. You know, don't don't talk down to somebody. You know, they don't care. Uh, we, we, one of my guys used to be uh he went to Texas, great kid, brand new out of medical school, and uh, we had a, a kid. Um, the kid ingested a little bit of bleach in a cup diluted bleach water solution or else we're cleaning with. You know, we got a little bit in. And um, so the dad was one-on-one in the hospital and stuff like that. Well, this kid starts getting to acid and base and the solution and the rate and blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at the guy. I went, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm explaining. I said, all dad wants to know is kid, good, kid, bad. That's all he wants to know. He don't care what he's, how smart you are with just all the numbers you just tossed out. He don't care. Is this kid going to be okay? Or do we need to fly him up by helicopter? Yeah, you know? he's like, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, just, how much do you drink? Not a whole lot. He got a little bit and it burns lips. All right, 
What did Poison Control say? Which is said, the big thing. They're the experts. Yeah. I said, he's like, oh, I didn't call them. Let's call them. What do you guys know? We'll, we'll call them together. So they're like, how much do you get? Oh, he's fine. You know, have him drink some milk and her nails and he'll be fine. You know, just monitor make sure his lips aren't burned. That was it. And the guy's like, well, I thought we'd have to have a helicopter. I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> Relax. But that's yeah. experience. And that's kind of pertinent to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, the overstaffed revolving door that Marion has become. I mean, let's oh, be completely God. honest. We've had this conversation. No yeah. Kelly days, understaffed, you know, mandatories out of the yin-yang. And I've watched my friends who are Marion County firefighters that I also train with at my gym go from the fresh-faced recruit to the beaten down, you, see you know, ghost um, but when you have that revolving door, you lose your experience too. So now you might have a crew of three or four that are all about to land a helicopter because no one's actually been around long enough to be to have the experience to have seen. Hey, we don't want to get on that roof, and here's yeah. why. Or hey, oh yeah, don't push bicarb on this person, and here's why. But are but the people in charge, not necessarily chiefs, the people that make make the rules or else don't understand the concept of that. Don't understand the concept of longevity. You know, and that's the thing is that we talked about earlier, the retention. Um, how, do you, how do you get retention? By implementing a process, you say, Kelly days. Um, you know, changing a schedule. Um, having some refactors built in. Those will, those will make people stay. You know, um, you know I, I've never went to a department and picked the department on, you know, the color of their uniforms or what their patch was. Or I've never done that, you know. Um, it's it's what they did for the personnel at the time. When you look at what they're doing, how happy are their personnel? Well, look at Virgin. Look at Google. Look mm-hmm. at you know all these. Um, yeah, with Google, you could argue ethically might be yeah. doing some devious stuff too. Yeah. But as a place to work for, a lot of the biggest you know businesses that people revere give their employees you know mental physical health tools, lots of time off, flexibility in the schedule. Yeah. And then, and so we talk about the fire service as a business. Well, if our business was really a business, our shop would have closed years ago. Oh, yeah. We're horrible. Maybe we wouldn't be able to get anyone to work. Yeah. Hey, yeah. welcome to my sweet shop. Come on in. Yeah. By the way, when it comes to clocking out, you might have to stay another full day. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we run on the fact that we run on the fact that we let them say that you're going to be this image of what a fireman is. That's what we recruit on. That's, that's what you're, you're, we, sell them the, we sell them the dream. Well, the military does too, to be oh, honest, yeah, with the rock and roll music and the you know the jet ski oh, videos. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So, you know, you're going to be doing this. You know, how many people join the Navy want to be a Navy SEAL? You know, like hey, there's other jobs in there, and you you don't qualify to be a SEAL because well, you're fat and out of shape. So, you know, hey, you're going to be this though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Looking right. at spark plugs on a submarine instead. Yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's one of those type of things. But our our, our departments, as I think, if we can start focusing on we, we've got the peer support group we've got a couple of things in, in our department now that are getting leeway and getting traction on the things that have happened because we've had some different events in our department that our department hasn't faced before now all of a sudden in the past five years we've had a couple of tragedies you know well that's enough to make any department go okay you know our eyes are open now all right, we didn't think it would happen here. We thought it happened to a place like Dallas or New York or some of that, and all of a sudden here it's happened to two guys in Marion County. Well, Vivaldi thought the same thing. Yeah. That was a yeah. point I made in my post I put yesterday, and oh, I saw yeah. that in saw my that, last yeah. apartment. They yeah. had that complacency. They had a, a near miss with a pulse shooter. Yeah. Came to Disney Springs. Yep. And then there were too many cops at that particular moment, went up to Pulse. Mm-hmm. He, you know, ultimately initially was going to massacre 
men, women, and children in the Disney Springs area. Yeah. I came back from a vacation expecting to be a mountain of changes and new training, and there was nothing. Zero. And so Avaldi should be, rather than, oh, look at them, every yeah. department should be looking in the mirror and go, fuck, is that us? Yeah. And, and were they trained for that? They weren't trained for that because we think it's never going to happen here. You know, um, I tagged on one of the guys that said that uh, from uh, Todd Shepard, who's actually one of the Ability Culture guys or else, and uh, he's the one that owns Fire Effect, I think Fire Force Doors and stuff like that. He said uh, anybody that needs, and uh, so did um, Arthur Ashley, uh, who's a truck guy now, says any department needs help, a police department needs help with forced entry training, let me know. We'll find some way to, to get to you to teach you how to do it. It was one of the reports was that they couldn't they couldn't get into the door because it was an Edward swinging door. They didn't know how to do it. You know, you, you can dig a battery ram all day long. It's not going to get your door in. So they were unable to get the door open. You know, so... But there were like SWAT level operators on scene. You're telling me they only ever gave search warrants of inward swinging doors? Exactly. I mean, everything that came out of that... Yeah. And here's, I'll put again, Ocala on the map. Sheepdog response, Tim Kennedy... One of the most revered, oh, you yeah. know, most dangerous men on the planet. Oh, yeah. Who has sheepdog response to teach law enforcement and civilians to be able to protect themselves and, and be better at their job. He came to Ocala. And um, George, I think Gator George is his handle, but I'm forgetting his last name. But one, one of, uh, um, is George Marion? I think, I think he's Marion. Um, yeah, he is Marion. I met him there. Um, anyway, he spearheaded them coming here. I actually... Uh, found the the range for them. Okay. They used um, the BJJ school up the road. Okay. They had the law enforcement side and the civilian side. It was right after Parkland. So someone sponsored a bunch of spots, of free spots to people. We had firefighters from Marion, from down south, all come and do the civilian side. We did two days. It was amazing. I think oh, I'm actually wearing the shirt, yeah. shirt now. There we go. Yeah. The law enforcement side, they couldn't even fill spots the first day. And then the second day, they had a bunch of fucking no-shows. So there is the problem. If you have a culture, and let me be honest, yeah, there's some great people in this department, but I, but there's also some horrific ones that affected my son, which I've told story about. Yeah. So and you, and that piece of shit is the one in charge of protecting a middle school, and God forbid she would do exactly the same as Parkland. I tell you right now, she'd be fucking running the other way. So if they don't have the fucking guts to even show up on a course run by a top level green beret and yeah. a ufc fighter to teach you on rep weapons pretend, uh, retention you know defensive tactics and shooting and that is your job yeah i mean you know ocali and maria need to fucking open their eyes and realize that ovaldi could be them next it's funny when i got when i got range where he squat the ranger nelson there's a guy in down in orlando and um i would would i would i was uh working gun shops and stuff like that when i first got out and did a bunch of different things like um, and I was an instructor. I was one of the, at the time, I was one of the youngest pistol instructors the Marine Corps had. I was a corporal at 20 years old. And, um, so, um, I would end up shooting stuff like that. And then, uh, I was at the range one day and I was like, I was a police officer for, for Orlando police department. And he's he got a target out there and he's drawn from his holster and he would shoot. He's right rapid shoot and he shot the ground. He missed the target and else he's trying to just be super fast. And I'm watching the guy and I'm just like shaking my head. And um, so I went over to him and I said, hey, man, um, if you would just take a couple of extra second or two to, to put that weapon on target, you know, by then I'd grow my hair out a little bit and stuff like that. And um, he looks at me and he goes, 
who the fuck are you? You know, I'm, I'm a police officer. This is my job. I carry a weapon for a living. I'm like, yeah, you're not very good with it, are you? So I was like, you're pulling out your holster and you're shooting the ground. I said, well, that bullet's going to ricochet up somewhere, probably a civilian or like it's going to go through a pram or something. You know, because you've got zero accountability where you put the muzzle of that weapon at. Mm-hmm. And it's reps. If that's yeah. his reps. That's yeah. going to be muscle memory of how not to shoot. And I almost said, you're just, I mean, you're just swinging for the fences right now and trying to get that thing out as fast as you can. But if a bad guy has to jump on you, I said, well, then you should work on situational awareness, number one, and how to read a threat. But then he's picking up some words I'm saying, and I'm not just some idiot over there in saw number four. Mm-hmm. And um, so I used to carry a Glock. And um, he's like, well, if you can, he goes, so all of a sudden he goes, well, if you can outshoot me, well, okay, challenge accepted there, my friend. So I put the target up there, and I put the target out farther than his. I'm like, you can time it if you want. I said, just tell me go. So he's like, well, whenever you're, so he's like, well, if you're thinking you're all city, he goes, go, like that. I pulled out and put five rounds to chest of his target and rehold my weapon. And he just kind of looked at me. I went, by the way, I'm not a cop. Yeah, I don't get paid to carry this weapon. I said, so I don't get paid to defend people. You do. You might want to get better at that. He was like, uh. And I threw the other cave out and said, and try not to be so fat. <laughs> Well, I mean, but that's the thing. And it's not, again, we're not standing on an ivory tower looking down. No. But I'm an absolute beginner with weapons. Like, you know, I'm not well-versed. I had a shotgun growing up on my farm, you know. But apart from that, pistols are new to me. And I'm still kind of even getting getting used to to, to actually getting a grouping that's worth a damn on, on a still target. But... We did, you know, sheepdog response and we do other classes and in my gun, you know, in my car, I, I have my weapon and I have a tourniquet and I have a lockout kit and things that maybe will enable me to be of assistance. assistance. God forbid a someone has an emergency. Yeah. Now I'm just a yeah. community member. Yeah. So then when you compare that to the lack of ownership, like I do jujitsu and I do CrossFit and I do keep myself in shape and I have German shepherds that I train and it's just all these things are adding. Like I used to take my son to the, the bus stop and I would walk the dogs a couple of laps and it just so happened that was when all the kids were walking to the school and I'm like okay this is kind of cool I'm walking my dogs and I'm also just a kind of deterrent for any shit bag that god forbid might you know try and snatch a kid even though it's a very very rare chance but that's what I do as a normal human being so I want to see the law enforcement people that were paid to do that more so yeah uh, 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 you know yeah and what we saw for example in you know that SRO in Parkland or you know, whatever the fuck that was in Uvalde, yeah. wasn't that. And, you know, again, it's people don't like Monday morning quarterback. Monday morning quarterback is those people are already dead. How the fuck can we draw something out of this to make sure it never happens, happens again? again? Yeah, what and did we so, do wrong? Yeah, so to me, you know, whether it's the communication, like you said, which was failing in my son's school and ended up with him, you know, having a horrendous traumatic experience, or fitness or weapons training or the ability to not have to draw your weapon through your words or your physicality those are all important things and as you see in the fire conferences you tend to see the same faces over and over again and there are phenomenal law enforcement officers in this area but i would probably hazard a guess just like the fire service they're probably the minority not the majority oh yeah it's funny you said on the conferences and we do we see the same guys over and over and over and um this, in fact, he's a little kid from uh, Canop- uh, someplace down south or some Canopus or someplace Flores, a little Asian guy in there else. And I've seen him at the past nine trainings I've been at. And we joke around, and I keep telling him he's stalking me. And um, super, super good kid. He's like, I just want to get better. 
And I see them all the time. And I said, how big is your department? It's not very big. I'm like, well, why are you the only one here? Because I'm the only one that thinks it's important. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, start working on the importance of it to the other, to the other members of your crew and start bringing those guys with you. Even just bring one at a time, just bring one guy. Um, we do that with our with our department. This is the only gig I'll have in our department. Um, and it's just not my, my, my style to do so. We have a tendency to put the blinders on and think that we don't want to look outside because we're the big fish in our pond. Don't worry, most departments think the same way. So. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> and, um, and I wish we would stop doing that because we could take away from other things from other departments that they do well. Um, but we always want to equate it to like, well, we're not FDNY. Well, that one says we have to be. But we could learn something about the departments to make our department better. You know, and that's the thing I wish our department would do a little more of. Um, I don't know if it's, it's it's one of the killers in the, in the fire services is um, is ego, and um, when you learn to put that aside, things get better. And uh, we not very good at putting that aside. Our ego is getting away. Um, so I, that's one of the things I battle with all the time is is the ego part of it um, because it really hinders progress in in every way, shape, or form, whether it be equipment. Training, um, the things we've talked about as far as the PTSD, the health for firefighters, because all that comes into play with schedules and everything else. And, you know, the ego is in the way, well, you should be tougher. You know, I've said it myself. If you can't stay away for 24 hours, this probably isn't a job for you. It's come out of my mouth, you know. And when I sit back and think of something, I'm like, who the hell am I to say that? I don't know what they had. That, that guy could have a, a, a newborn at home. Mm-hmm. And most of them do. You know? I mean, a lot of our department. So who am I to say as an out. officer? If you can't stay out for 24 hours, then you're no, you're no use to me. That's wrong. You know, I recognize that now. You know, but that part of me is still ingrained where that's just what you did. You know, being a little older and long in the tooth, you know, it's a little different. So, you know, and I'm not the most touchy-feely guy when it comes to stuff. It's just, you know, my guys laugh at me about that. Um, I, I give the speech to the new hires. And uh, it says, all right, you came here. You all have that hair in your private parts. That means you're adults. I expect you to act like adults. You know, mommy's not here to do stuff for you. You're going to have to grow up real quick. This this is the same thing as going in the military. You know, you need to be able to make decisions. Um, and this is things I expect out of you as an officer and as as work for a department. You know, you're going to have to problem solve real quick on your own. You know, we'll give you the tools. You're not alone, but you might want to start figuring stuff out. Because you know, we do get these young kids in that, that have no idea. You know, I had a kid show up one time for one of the interviews. He's wearing skinny jeans, no socks, boat shoes, and a, a cool a cool shirt. And I look at him and I go, because being from a different era where you wear a suit and tie, I'm like, did Junior have an interview today? Because, yes, sir, I wore a belt. And I was like, were you in a hurry? Because you forgot your socks. He goes, they're they're boat shoes, sir. I said, I don't know what the hell they are. I know what boat shoes are, kids. And they were like, this is is them dressed up. This is generation of them dressed up. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, all right. But is that acceptable? I'm like, we're making, we're we're changing the exception here. So it was just, it was really, really funny. Some things I got to learn to change who I am a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The old guy's got to learn to change. That's an interesting thing, though, because if you think about, you know, like say a hundred years ago, they would have had the big cravat. And, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you know, I never yeah. thought of it that way, but yeah, what yeah. is the definition of business attire? Yeah, which sure. is basically what it's supposed to be in 2022. And is it different? Is that 
acceptable now. <laughs> one guy goes, one guy had a, t- a tattoo up the back of his neck that we were, we didn't hire him, by the way, we had a big tattoo up the back of his neck. And, um, and I said, um, I looked at his neck and he goes, oh yeah, he's, he didn't open me at him. He goes, yeah, once I put on a suit and tie, you they, they won't see that. I'm like, but you're in front of the people that are interviewing you right now. He's like, yeah, but, but when I, but I look different with a suit and tie. I'm like, but you don't right now. And I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And you don't wear a suit and tie on the job anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> <And I said laughs> Even that, though I'm not opposed to tattoos personally. But, no, I'm not either, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but I started laughing. He's like, he's like, oh, get it. You know, I'm like, I said, so, all right. Unless you're going to wear a, a, a turtleneck here for the workout. You know, uh, so I, I, you know, it's just one of those things. Just the standards are a little different. So uh, we've had an issue with 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 the Marion County for the standards. Um, now, are the standards that way because they've always been that way, or is there that backward mentality that if we lower the standards, we'll get more candidates? Because I find the actual opposite. If you ask Orlando or Anaheim, how many people do you get applying? It's a shitload, and they have the highest standards. We've 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 made that um, we've made that uh, apparent to the above the people above us. Hey, maybe the people aren't coming to us because our standards aren't high enough. You know, and and because what happens is you hire somebody low, or hires the, the the bottom of the barrel, and who can barely maintain a good standard for themselves. Never mind a department. And then they come to me, and you expect me to turn them into a rock star. And it's it's very frustrating, and um, we we have a, we equate we have, we love to throw on the word discipline, um. So, I have a little different take on that the discipline, um. Discipline can be inherited, and you can you can you can learn discipline. Okay, um. Character is a whole different thing. You can't have. I don't believe you can have character without. You can't have. I don't believe you can have discipline without character. All right, and it's just one of those things. Is is character is what what your parents have taught you and else, and what mentors help shape is your character. Well, that is where discipline is self inflicted. Character is not. So as we have these kids that have any don't have any life experience or don't have any, any role models or anything else for character. I never expect them to take on this 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 mantra, this discipline to get this done. Well, they've never had that expectation on themselves, so of course you're going to fail. Of course you're going to quit. There's been nothing. There's been no reason. For, there's been nothing that's going to happen to them if they've quit. So for us to say that the, the bad things won't happen if they don't do it, they're oblivious to it because nothing's ever happened before of quit. You know. So and so to try to get the department to understand how that correlates to what they're hiring. When well yeah but we've got sixty seats, sixty seats to fill. But if you're filling them with like watered down versions, are, are you really getting the best for that? What's raise the standard, get better candidates. I think your department will prosper more for that. But then you have to pay more money to to attract better candidates, uh, change your conditions to attract better candidates. Yeah, so it's just I, I don't know how to fix that for a department. So it's just I've voiced my my opinion on it a few times, and I get the look, you know, of enough lieutenant going. <laughs> well, speaking of at least controlling the environment, you can so yes. sending yourself 
to to conferences and ultimately teaching. I know I think I think it was the last the last conference I did the heart training on was that um heavy rescue extrication class at Orlando a few years ago, the fire conference and Rick yeah. George was there, you were yep, there. Yep. Um so and I've loved I've never been to FDIC. Right. Because Orlando is so damn good I just don't feel the I, I, need I, I, have I honestly okay so, yeah so and I and I love it I did um Venetta search one year I did the extrication one year and then even just here I mean the classes they put on at the college I've redone them multiple times I have the piece of paper but I just want to get more tool time sure. um how did you get into the teaching role and then and then tell people listening the different groups that you work with now okay um so actually one of your guests you had on Scott Chapel um was my lieutenant 17 he was a really big mentor in my in, in my in my fire service uh career um he's the one that got me into teaching i don't think scott's been on yet i've got to get him on oh really we, we okay i thought scott it. was i thought scott's been on here before scott no Chappell. we, we were going amazing. to because we i actually did the following fire conference we did a role play thing okay oh yeah you okay. probably heard about yeah, that. yeah i did yeah yeah <laughs> okay yeah where so, uh yeah we just took some real words yeah. to some of these these scenarios and i was hoarse for about a week after that but oh, anyway yeah, yeah, yeah scott chaplin and uh and, and walt lewis and stuff like that. so yeah, walt's been on i'm that. very good friends with walt um through fools and stuff like that, and just known walt and um who's an amazing individual he's just such a great man but uh you'll find out from t- t- scott um He's probably one of the most organized individuals I've ever met in my entire life, to a T. That guy, we talk about many irons in the fire. He has three notepads he keeps, one for home, work, and, and his fire college, and else and things he does. And when we talk about schedules, um, hey, what days do you have open? No, he's what hours do you have open to work with? Because his schedule is full for about a year out. He's that detail-oriented, and else. So I used to drive him crazy, because he's like, hey, keep these notepads, when he's teaching me how to get organized, and I'm horrible at it. And um, so he would, uh, we'd laugh. We used to frustrate him so bad. And um, but I learned a lot from being instructor from him because he has the incredible ability as an instructor, which I'm very envious of. When he talks through a room of something or a crowd of something, and um, he can say something and he can judge the audience. And if one guy doesn't get it, understand it. He doesn't leave him just kind of dangling in the air. He'll he'll re-say the same thing in a way that that guy will grasp it without everybody in the room realizing that guy was an idiot didn't grasp it the first time. And it's incredible the way he does it. And it's so flawless and so seamless that we always joke around about, like it's almost like Jedi mind control as we, we joke around about it. Everybody knows uh, Captain Chapel about it. We always joke around about that. And um, But he taught me a lot about how to talk to people and to be an instructor and, and wanting to be better in teaching. He says, Tony, you're good at picking up stuff. So you should get yourself good at reteaching it. So that's how I started teaching with him or else. He got me into um he got me into Orlando, uh teaching in Orlando. Um and then I just got me teaching different things with fools and stuff like that. So I ended up teaching for doing stuff for Orlando Fire Conference. Now I'm a regular every year, um on there at the extrication side. Um can never make over the over to the, the truck side and doing stuff. They've already got enough guys over there. Um I have enough FDNY guys and other guys from different departments and to do that that I keep staying over. Um, on the on the extra case side, which is a lot of fun to me, I love it. Um, but then I started, I got picked up with uh, um, one of the guys you had on here before, Pablo Jenner. Him and I are extremely close. Um, him and I started working together with Build Your Culture, uh, which is it's a search role. It's basically all on search and everything else, and uh, search for survivable with Sean Duffy, um, and we teach that whole aspect of you know we're. we're Searching and is is extremely important on a scene, a fire scene. Um, 
and being another one being fit enough to do it. Um, we joke around about the whole thing with VES. So we make a horrible thing on our department as far as um, any department for that matter. Is we can I can put you in full gear and you're in good shape. All right. And I have you give you intensity that puts you on uh I put you to do um VS in a room, twelve by twelve room. Okay? If you do it right and the way you're supposed to or else with full intensity you come out, you're breathing heavy, you're a little taxed or else, and you've used some air in your bottle. Okay, that's a twelve by twelve room. But we've got no problem sending us a search crew in, a rescue in, two man crew, to search an eighteen hundred, two thousand square foot structure to do a primary search. And they come out not even breathing heavy and have the, the, the gall look in your angle. Yeah, hey, I gotcha, yeah, nothing, search is good. Mm-hmm. Really? Hmm, I think not. So there's a big so we, we harp on that kind of stuff. Like if you're doing that, you're not you're not searching right. You know, search is going to be very tedious, very taxing, or else, and uh, it's going to take a lot on your body. So, that's the main thing to do with build your culture. And um, so, uh, traveling with those guys, or else, I said I got to just do the one in um in Michigan. They did the first annual Michigan Fire Conference or Great Lakes Fire Conference. They're trying to do the same thing up there they do for Orlando because there's nothing for that area like Orlando has. So Sean's trying to make that happen up there. So. Um, Unique perspective up there. I saw a lot of townships, so a lot of mixed departments that we don't have in Florida, and um, so which is awesome. Uh, it just the way they do things a little different. Uh, you talked before the east versus west difference in truck work it was a big difference from, from north and south truck work. Also, I was realizing uh, basically do through building construction, um, new walls, basement stuff that a lot we don't have in Florida. So it was interesting with doing that. I taught VS for those guys up there, and uh, the things that you do, you have to empower the guys to make these, 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 these decisions. And these departments don't have the backing to make some decisions to do because weird that every department in the country is faced with minimum staffing issues. You know? Um, so that was interesting to see how they would do stuff. Um, the rules that having the rules of engagement and combat they have for doing certain things for their departments put a big, a big change in how they'd search, you know, um, two in, two out rule. Some of the guys are still, I got. If I can't go in if there's not two people out there. There's somebody in there. You've been told someone's in there. Yeah, but until two other guys show up, I can't go in. Oh, that's not what that means. Mm-hmm. Stop. Well, in Orange County, they did even there. They had the kind of in brackets unless mm-hmm. there's imminent, you know, right danger. Yeah. To but, the resident or whatever they they described it. But yeah, but the organizations like 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 to kind of downplay that part to put it in a real fine pencil that way that we don't have to worry about the, uh, the if something happens to one of their guys you know so hey they did two and two out they're good Orange County so, was I mean they had a fleet of bus drivers just waiting for you to run you over the moment you did anything oh yeah we always oh. used to joke if we ever got killed make sure you throw me a, throw a, a traffic vest over me so that I get written <laughs> up posthumously yeah oh yeah uh, Ray McCormick I'm going to wear my highly reflective vest and my highly reflective bunker coat Tommy did FDIC one year on his speech yeah he got a little bit of crap from that I believe <laughs> um but yeah, so I, I did that training with those guys, and I got brought in with um, with Pablo, was teaching with NRC, which is National Rescue Consultants, which is Rob Ramirez, uh, Timmy Gleason, who's phenomenal. Uh, he's uh, with Miami's uh, City of Miami uh, Tech Rescue guy, and everyone else is really interesting individual. Um, very smart, very humble. Um, he's a, he's the senior man, uh, same age as us. He's our height and now, and he's just the things he spews out of his mouth as far as knowledge and numbers will just astound you 
the how this guy knows this kind of stuff off the top of his hand. Mm, I can um, never retain that stuff either. No, it's, I, I told him it's either evil genius or idiot savant. I don't know which one it is yet. Uh, I'm leaning towards evil genius sometimes. Um, but uh, and then you've got Rob Ramirez, who as an instructor, when he talks, his he does the um, the media mindset um, on rapid uh, uh, rapid intervention teams and stuff like that. He just makes it flow so smooth and he's so polished that you can tell he's done this so many times that it's just, he doesn't need the PowerPoint. He just talks along the slideshow and it's just in perfect sync. It's kind of like watching the Wizard of Oz while you have uh, Pink Floyd going in the background, you know, it just coincides and he's amazing. So, and then Herbie's the master behind, behind everything for NRC. But the, uh, that is, uh, we joke around about that. They say it's uh, varsity as fuck is what they say NRC is. And a tech, uh, Herbie's thing is there's, there's different levels to this when you teach, and he's we're at the top level. So those guys hold a really high standard, which is amazing. Like if you don't know something inside and out, you ain't teaching it. It's just there is no ifs, ands, or buts. So they'll vet you out first and say, all right, they'll watch you teach something, and if you stumble or you you're not giving the right information or something, they don't feel you're um they don't feel you're a good fit for what they want you're not going to work for them you're not going to represent them and it's big representation is the key to it and um as rob tells me you're you're uh you're their disneyland you're teaching them you need to make them feel good uh but don't make them don't don't sprinkle with fairy dust um you know but you're there to teach them their else and not demean them it's not minimum standards you're not shouting at people you know they're equals you're teaching them that's what we want you to do which is really refreshing um so I, I'm enjoying that a lot. Those guys are awesome. Was that how it was going from regular Marine, not recon selection, but after when you got through to the training, did it shift from drill instructor screaming to actually yeah. peer? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, to say that being a part of recon and else, and the guys you had before, all the special ops guys tell you, um, different mindset, um, whole, whole different mindset. Very, very, very tight click of different things or else. Um it was it was amazing as far as in fact I had the exact opposite happen when I got when I got hurt I had to go to um, I could no longer maintain a jump status so I couldn't be a recon anymore and I was being separated so I was sent over to a motor transport unit and um, which I hadn't touched a toolbox in the whole time I'd been there really and all of a sudden I get there and I'm wearing my uniform or else and I've my wings or else and I have a mass sergeant look at me and look right at me and go you can figure out that hurrah bullshit right now you're in a real Marine Corps and I was like oh what just happened. You know, and um, it was funny enough. I, I'd end up, uh, I was getting ready to be uh, getting out on, med- on a medical discharge with my leg, and um, so I let myself go a little bit, appearance-wise or anything else. And uh, the sergeant major for recon was walking across the the, the back of the deck one day, out where the motor pool was. He then been now the sergeant major over uh, surveillance reconnaissance intelligence group, and saw me and looked at me and says. Uh, Corporal Gillen, is that you? Said, yes, sir. You look like shit. And I was like, oh, I goes, oh, what? So he said, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong with you, Nelson? And I said, I just, you know, I got told I'm the real Marine Corps now, Nelson. And um, he says, is that right? And he goes, uh, I want you to go get ready the way I know you can get ready for an inspection and meet me in the mass sergeant's office in an hour. So I was like, uh, I said, well, I need to let him. He goes, no, you're. He goes, I'm. So I'm the sergeant major. Do what I tell you. So, yes, sir. Took off in her So I met the mass sergeant office, all done up in her So I suppose we went and got a haircut real quick. Come there, and he's got me in front of the sergeant major. 
showing our, our he's got me in front of this master sergeant showing his master sergeant what a marine is supposed to look like and i'm like oh i'm gonna die this guy's gonna kill me now <laughs> you know so this is how dare you have my marine feeling less than what he is right now he earned those and blah 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 i was just like wow good for him though oh yeah that was in it so i really and i was like which was great but then it made me miss what i what i couldn't be part of any any longer you know i was like wow so even that happens in in the marine corps itself and stuff so not necessarily in the infantry stuff, but the other 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 brand, other parts of the Marine Corps. So it was interesting to that, and it just made me like, huh, great. Now this is, I can't wait to get out because I don't want to be part of this. I want to be part of that again. So. I had the the mentor kids, the five firefighter mentor kids, okay. um, which I think is an amazing program. I oh, talk it's about awesome. it all the time. They came to my, oh, this the Florida Thunder there. Um, they came to my strength and conditioning class that I do free for all responders in town, military, you know, whoever's serving basically, um, and ran them through, you know, sleds and sandbags and all the pertinent, you know, functional movements that I teach. And it was funny because I just caught in the end, I think it was Chris, that was my dog now heckling me, Jesus. Um, Chris Hickman made a comment. He's like, and you notice that James wasn't shouting. And so it kind of caught me by surprise. I'm like, Huh? Because you forget there's there's the people that love to just shout, you know, at the you know recruits or whatever, and, and there's the the ones that don't. And I kind of realized like my whole career that it just never yeah be, worked for me. And I'd been a recipient of it. I mean, I've been oh, four, sure. four academies, fire yeah. academy, and then four orientations. Yeah. So I'd been shouted at yes over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But kind of like you were saying with Scott Chapel, you can communicate just as effectively with a calm voice, and then when you do raise your voice, people are like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Whereas if you're shouting about everything, how do you punctuate something that's truly important? Oh, oh that's it. Usually the guys know when, when I'm shouting or else I'm, I'm usually telling my guys, remember, I'm not shouting at you, I'm shouting to you. And, uh, you know, so, and then uh, if I do shout as, as an instructor or with the, the cadre for, for the new hires, there's usually a reason and I'm trying to get your attention for a reason. And, um, or you're just not listening. You know, but at a certain point, uh, whether or else, when you start shouting at people, they shut down. By then, the, the learning process is, is done, you know, and then you have to re- re-engage and re-initialize everyone else. And so it's just one of those things. It, it makes it very difficult for people to to get better. And that's what you're there for, is helping get better. And if you shut them down, they're not getting any better. And that's, then you're, you're now that you're in, disservice, you're in disservice to everything you set out to complete. You destroyed yourself. You sabotaged what your own thing was. You know, so. Well, that's a good segue for one more area that I want to hit on before we do some closing questions. Um, but we, again, we, we had quite a long chat before we started recording. Leadership. I I guess one of my, not, not pet peeves, but one of the, the ways that I try and shy away from because it happens a lot is you get, you know, short interviews, short podcasts, whatever it is. And it's like, hey, well, if you could choose three things about leadership what would those three things, you know, and it's like, for fuck's sake, that's not even a conversation and you're yeah. putting someone on the spot yeah. to have to suddenly pull some random philosophy out of their head. But we were talking that, you know, there are some uh, misunderstandings or misapplications of some of the leadership things that are very popular at the moment. Um, some, I think, are actually counterproductive. For example, looking at someone like Jocko, who's been on the show, I think is mm-hmm. awesome. And going, oh, I need to get up at four thirty. Well, you're a Marion County firefighter. You yeah. barely get any sleep. No, you fucking don't need to get up at four right. thirty. You need to sleep. So, what are some of the, the kind of I guess myths and truths that you subscribe to with, um, 
you know, with leadership and what are some of the kind of mistakes that you're seeing that maybe are negatively affecting oh, people? Oh man, that's, a, that's I like this conversation. So uh, this is where I, this is where I give the unpopular opinion of different things and everything else. And again, it's my opinion. Uh, you know, it's just what it is. Um, I love the Jock Holding stuff, the extreme ownership. I love that. I love Mark Von Appen. I love all those guys. They've got great things, and I like them. What I don't like is people who try to be them. So what happens? You have a new officer and else, and they and you're, read this, read this, read this, be this, listen to this guy. Well, then they take these and they try to push them all together and digest that, and they try to be all those guys because that's what they're, what they're being told what leadership is. And then they forget the one most important part of leadership, being true to yourself. Because they're no longer them. They're, they're Jocko Van Appen. You know, they're not themselves. They're not, it's not Tony Gillen. It's not this other officer. You know, so so it, it, it it's a detriment because now you've got no validity. You're, number one, you're fake. And your crew that you're trying to lead, they don't know who you are. Because they've read the books too. You know, they don't need you don't need you to be the, the, the soundbite of the book. They need you to be you. You know, and there's a big difference between being a, a fire service officer and being leading a Navy SEAL team. You know, we can do, we don't do all the chest beating we want. Okay. I'm not leaving my guys in the bullet fire. I'm not leaving my guys in the combat. And there's a big difference between the individuals you get with a SEAL team or a recon or berets and what you get with the fire, with the fire service team. There's a big difference. Um, I, we'd be kidding ourselves if we said there wasn't. All right? And I think that's one of the problems we get caught into is that we try to compare the two and make them on an even playing field. They're not. We need to stop that. Um, one of the other things I have a hard time with is we, we've, we've got this thing now where you say, <clears throat> everybody can be a leader. Okay, Even the newest guy, you brand new guy, you can be a leader. No, he can't. You know why? Because he has to be a follower first. Every good leader has been a good follower. But if you, put that, you just put undue pressure on this kid to lead from this very first day, and, and then he's going to scream that when he messes up because he oversteps his bounds. No, let him learn to be a good follower first. You know, what I want you to understand about him being a leader is lead yourself, okay? Be proactive, okay? Get, number one, get here on time, be ready for work. Go through the truck, those things. But I don't need you to tell some other guy how to do his job. That's not leading. That's that you're, you're, Now you're, and it's because these young men don't understand this. These young men and women that come in, they don't understand that concept. And then they get their, their hand slapped for it when they're like, I'm just trying to do what you told me to do. So there's that. Um, we talked about earlier about the, uh, the, the, there's these groups out there. Leadership groups, everybody subscribes to everyone else. And all of a sudden they get caught up in this, this tribe. And if I'm not part of that tribe, not doing what that tribe says, well, I could be ousted as being a fake or I could be, be, be not worthy. So we talked about earlier, okay, for me to be a good officer, I need to... Um, Train my guys two hours every day, no matter what. Every single day, I need to train on something every two hours every single day. I need to do this from do this from. What what if half my crew just got is on a mandatory? Okay, or we said the one kid just came into work and he's got a newborn, or one guy's studying for this paramedic exam that he's, he's he has to pass this time. Do you think he's focused on the training, or I'm trying to get him? Or they've been every every training we started training and they interrupted every single time. You know, now it's 10 o'clock at night. They're barely, I'm going, hey, guys, remember, we still got that tower ventilation we want to work on. I know you guys have been busy, and the ladder's not. We've already done it, but you guys need to come out and do it with me. 
Am I only a very good officer then? No. And, and, and a, the, a caveat to that is, I'm not, please, I'm not saying I'm a good officer. I have no idea. I don't know if I'm a good officer or not. Okay. And no officer should be able to tell you he is a good officer or not. His crew should be able to tell him. That's the ones who should make the difference to tell you he is or not. I don't know. You know? I, I, that's my thing on that. All I can try to do is take care of my men, do his best interest of them, and, and, and make sure they're well taken care of and they know the mission. I figure if I make the mission a priority, they're the priority for that to happen, then everyone will work out. You know? So that's the thing with leadership stuff. We've just got so many, there's an overload of it. It's become the buzzword and this and that, and there's books written on it, and people are trying to get that from a book when a lot of it's inside, and we're losing that part of it. Yeah. Well, I heard someone, I forget exactly how they put it, but they were like, you know, motivation is an action. Yeah. You know, it's you have to enact what you've got from being motivated, and I think... You know, I, I totally get what you're seeing. The best leaders, you know, and Terry Wilson, my truck captain, Anaheim, definitely someone I, I would put in yeah. the top of that pile. You've got to know how to read the room. Like you said, if you're all fresh and everyone's come off and, you know, you're chomping at the bit, go smash it for two hours. Yeah. You know, go, you know, go climb stairs with full gear and throw a hose on your shoulder and, you know, do some stuff on the top, walk some roofs, you know, put the aerial up. But yeah, but yeah if you, you know you've got your ass handed to you or you know damn well that you know one of your crew is going through some stuff yeah. sit in the dining room table yeah make some coffee yeah that's still stuff, community yeah. that's still top but you can have and it's the same in the gym not yeah. every day should be murph in gear no you know some days should be a swim or a walk oh i feel that i feel that i tell you i feel the pressure on that myself being older and and, and i know the age is just a number you know it, it usually coincides with the amount of no grounds of advil you have to take every day. You know, she's all that comes into play. Um, you know, as you can tell me you're getting older because the number keeps going up. So, uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I I don't feel it doing a Murph in gear a lot of times. I don't feel it doing a Murph. You know, um, like I said, I'll do my little workout at night and everything else. Um, Which is almost know. a Murph in itself. <laughs> or put the run. Um, you know, stuff like that. So it's just one of those things where, I, you know, but you feel that, that, pressure to have to do that and if not then you're you're nothing you know man we 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 start to really compress on guys with that kind of mentality instead and then i think that puts so much undue pressure on this ability to perform there should be as like if they're meeting the standard then good you know and if they want to raise their personal standard but don't quit raising it for them mm-hmm. you know then all of a sudden for me to be a good officer i have to be a navy seal well, I you think, know. again, if, if you've got the time mm-hmm. for rest and recovery, yeah. then you can click it up. Yeah, but that's it. The problem is if you add all that volume to a crew that isn't sleeping, you know, one, maybe two nights of the three, that's just pure biology. You know, it's yeah. physiology. Oh, yeah. You yeah. are going to break. So yeah. you have to be careful. Some days, you know, bring it down. And then, it, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a true believer. At least once a week, you got to go to the pain cave. You got to. Yeah be somewhere horrible so it's been no more than seven days god forbid you find yourself in an event that you have to draw from the deepest depths of your you know courage and you know physical ability but if you do that every day you're not even going to get to that point because you're going to be broken oh we had to laugh with my guys when i first got there and i did uh i did a ladder tour myself out there and i was having a hard time i don't i was usually pretty decent throwing ladders and i was having a hard time throwing the 16 which not because heavy just because of the size I have to change my body mechanics on it. And, uh, and I dropped it a few times or else. 
So uh, the guys saw me and everyone else were like, uh, yo, LTV got it. I'm like, no, no, you won't throw anyone. That's not the point. I need to be able to do this. And um, I said, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to do this myself a little bit. So I was like, for the next hour, just throwing the 16 around everyone else. And uh, I come in, I put it on the, the wall, on the on the, the glass of my room, and I said, um, on my office, I said, I went there, I said, first it was like ladder, ladder three, me zero. And then it went around, it went around, it changed it to the point where it was more me than the ladder. And um, <laughs> and the count up was like, I did, I think I threw the ladder like 45 times. And um, and it never got above four on the on the ladder. So we're like, all right. And they're like, what's that about? I says, me versus that ladder. And they're like, it was funny how you put it on. I said, I just want you guys to see that I, I won. And this, they started laughing. So it was, it was pretty good. So, and it was just one of those guys. The guys were like, we thought it was awesome that you failed. You know, I don't mind. So did I, because I needed it. The worst thing I've seen my last place was they had ladder training and it was against like an outhouse. Like, I mean, the actual top of the, the roof is probably 12 feet. Mm-hmm. So you're not even extending, you're not doing yeah, anything yeah, properly. Yeah. And I watched, it was a guy that was in my station that day and just the worst ladder throw I've ever seen. Yeah. And they were like, okay. And I'm just like, what? So I got the failure fine is is fine as long as you follow it up with lots of let me do reps to get it right. Yeah. I'm yeah cuz I mean I got to, I'm the kind of guy where I did the rope course the 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 ops mm-hmm. at school. I think mm-hmm. we had one or two weeks between and yeah. we went back to tech. Yeah. And I know I wasn't alone. Yeah. A lot of us were like how the fuck do we tie this again? We oh, just yeah, had a week solid 2 weeks before. Yeah, exactly, my brain yeah. does not retain that. So no. I have to do the reps but I I think the the training ground is absolutely where you fail. But what I see in the poorer training divisions is that there's you should have an inbuilt thing for almost definite failure, mm-hmm. not breaking confidence, but there's going to be mistakes made, and then you have to build in one or two more evolutions yeah. where you rectify the state mistakes. But more often than not, you get one shot and that's it. All right, pack up. Next crew's coming in. It's the wrong way of doing it. When when I tell the guys new hires we have, I come in and say, congratulations for choosing Marion County. Thank you for choosing us, this and that. I said, you come to us with this thing called minimum standards. Okay? I said, understand what that is. It is the minimum standard. I said, what that tells me is that it made you, empl- it made you employable. It made you be able to be employed with us. And what that says is when I tell you to go get a, 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 a case off in the truck, you don't come back with a hammer. Okay? That's what that did for me. I said, now let's get beyond that and we're going to go to greater standards and higher standards. I said, this should compound throughout your career. I said, but don't think that you're just sitting here right now, you're a fireman. Right now, you're an employee. You have to make the difference if you're going to be a fireman or not. You know, and that's through dedication and a lot of work. We're going to work on that together. You know, I'm not expecting you to know something you don't know. You know that, and, and if I yell at you for that, then that's on me. So, and I said, we're going to get better together. And that's what I tell them in the orientation. And then and my whole thing is, I always joke around with them. I said, here's the deal. If you're in gear, I'm going to be in gear. Okay? So that sounds great, except for one thing. When I'm in gear, you're in gear. And I like being in gear. So they're like, oh. And, so, and usually when they're doing stuff, I'm in gear with them or else. Because if they're sweating, they're butt off or else. And there's a guy, fresh face, pants, T-shirt, not sweating. And I'm telling them they suck at something. Well, of course, they're going to leave me. Well, of course, easy for you. You're, you're fresh. But if I'm struggling with them, if I'm sweating with them, there's a little more buy-in there. When I teach my class, I do the workout as well because okay. it's also a barometer. Am I expecting too much? 
if I do the class and I'm like, oh, maybe we'll just do two rounds. Yeah. And I was barking three, yeah. standing there in the shade. Then I'm I'm the you know the asshole. Oh yeah, so. yeah. So and they'll they'll pick people. People aren't dumb. They'll pick up on that. Yeah. You know what I mean. So and that's once as an instructor, as an officer instructor, once you have any kind of validity, you're done. <clears throat> people figure out your fake real quick. You know, uh, Pablo's little thing he always said, used to say was, uh, "You can fake a lot of things, but you can't fake passion." So I added on to that. I said, "You can fake a lot of things. Two things you can't fake is passion and skill." Because the big difference when, from me, me telling you, I've thrown, a tw- I've thrown a 24-foot ladder, and I can throw a 24-foot ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passion, skill, and male ejaculation is the third one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Oh, man, we've got three. I like that. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. So, but, yeah, I'm, it's, 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 been a very, it's been a very good ride. I've got about seven more years for my 25 I'll be sixty something. I think I'm. I think I'll be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny. I, 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 mean, I start. I've started the fire service in twenty in two thousand four, and I think I was twenty seven then. But then didn't get into the Florida retirement system till fourteen years ago. So again, I would have been sixty, sixty one, or whatever. Yeah. But I never in my journey. I just it didn't feel in my heart. Hearts like that. That was. I wasn't going to be collecting that pension that everyone was chasing. And it was just weird. And I yeah. didn't know that this was going to happen and this yeah. would be my new thing. But, um, it's but yeah, thing. it's, it's, you know, it's strange, but anyway, well, I would love to shift some, uh, closing questions. Sure. We're chatting for almost two and a half hours. Oh boy. Yeah. Which is amazing. The time flies. A lot of that dumb stuff out then. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I love it. Absolutely love it. So the first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, so my wife kills me because I, I, I've usually got like three books open. So I always joke around and say that I don't have eight. I always said I never had ADD. And my wife laughs at that hysterically because I'm horrible at stuff. I can't watch TV shows. I don't watch very much TV. Um, so um, with that being said, um, I've read uh, um, Starts With Why. And it's Simon Sinek books. I love his stuff and everything else. Um, you'll find a lot of things I don't read are a lot. I don't read a whole lot of very good uh, fire service books. Um, I've read Random Thoughts by Brandon and stuff like that, which is good. Um, I'm halfway through the David Goggins book. Um, I was reading between that extreme ownership uh, and the other one. So, and then um, the other one I was reading was uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. So, 12 Rules. Brilliant. All right. Well, you say you don't watch much TV. What about films or documentaries? Any of those that you love? Um, Anthony World War II related. Um, just because of my grandfather, obviously. Um, I love that. Have you seen Band of Brothers? I have. We watched. In fact, so I, I a little thing I'll tell you. So Marion County on their truck company stuff and else, Ladder 17 and, and uh, Ladder 1, we have a, a spade. Um, so that spade is from when Scott Chapel and I, when I was at 17, we watched Band of Brothers all the time. And we went and got on our helmets the spade the Easy Company had on their on their helmets. And we put that on our fire helmets. So now the spade has been consumed for Marion County Truck Company Operations. So that's what that, well, so we have put that in there. So yes, Banner Brothers was a great, I love that show. I like that more in the Pacific, which is funny enough being the fact that it was Marines, but I like the World War II stuff, especially European theater. Yeah. 
I had um, Shane Taylor, who played Doc Rowe, the mm-hmm. medic, on the show um, yeah. well, like a three or four weeks ago now. Okay, awesome. So yeah, pretty amazing yeah. insight into to yeah. the actor's view of that whole thing. Oh yeah, and then uh, and for some reason, uh, my flask because I, I love the John Wick movies, especially number one. I can pretty much recite that whole one. That was my favorite. So. Brilliant. Any documentaries specifically? Um, not really. I just on the stuff with uh, anything with like uh, Winston Churchill and stuff like that. Um, uh, anything to do with like um, Montgomery? I saw a lot of the World War Two stuff and everything else, just because what the country was faced with at that certain point in time, the mindset of Winston Churchill and a bunch of other ones, how they navigated those waters was really interesting to me. So, uh, and then actually I uh, read um, the biography on Ronald Reagan, just because he seemed like an interesting guy to me. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, the next question is: There a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest? speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world wait we've already got scott you know scott chaff would be one who's just absolutely incredible i will follow up with scott because i know we talked a while he just had an injury didn't he yeah he had a, he had a shoulder surgery yeah so that was yeah. when i should have done it and i dropped yeah. the ball no he's got a little yeah. busy so he looked like cats we had a beard in her nails look crazy so uh um him um rob ramirez from nrc and actually and actually timmy gleason um who's amazing he's uh Timmy's such an interesting guy. Uh, he has a lot of stories on different things uh, that would be surprise you. You say he's in Miami? In Miami, okay, yeah. Okay, so that'd be a good one as well because I my wife is in um, the Lauderdale area med school. So oh, okay. I'm down, I'm down that way a lot. Oh, awesome. So. Yeah, he's down there. for the, he's, a, we call the, he's the godfather of Miami's TRT team. And uh, super just interesting. He's a kind of a rockabilly kind of guy he's got tattoos all over and else little guy but man i just incredibly smart and just i've got to be around him i'm so humbled by what he knows and he's the most down-to-earth guy you wouldn't realize what what isn't what is encapsulated in this guy knowing him and just shaking his hand you wouldn't know but man he's just wow he's impressive to say the least so brilliant all right well i have to try and follow up on all those gentlemen then all right, the last question before we make sure people know where to find you. What do you do to decompress? I actually um, build, uh, do woodwork, and then build American flags. Very cool. <laughs> That's your so therapy. I give, them, I, give them, I give them a family. I've just given them a family. I've sold a couple, but I've given them a family and everything else. And just uh, working with wood and everything else and just something completely unrelated to the fire service. So and and I just I'm very patriotic and everything else. Um, I, I love this country. I love what I've done, and uh, so just giving that to people and everything else, it's just I, I just enjoy doing it. So and it just helps me have the sound of the saws and everything else and tools go, and it just takes my mind away from different things, which is very important. Love it. Well, just touch, just circling around for a second as well. You started going to this therapist a while ago. You, you know, woodworking is obviously a therapy. What were some of the things that worked for you as you began that process from that depression that you were in back to, to you know, the light, as they say? I think that just the knowledge that, that, that talking to somebody and it doesn't make you weak. Um, that, you're not, you're, that you're not being a, you know, oh, look at the little one, you cry, baby, you know, some stuff happened to him, you know? And that's what you get faced with a lot of times. But, and... Man, the thoughts that I had about a therapist would be and what he actually was was completely different. Um, you're not laying on the couch and talking about your mother, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, but um, they were open ended dialogue or else, and it wasn't, nothing was judgmental. And there wasn't a clear case of, you know, well, you, need, you need to do this, you need to do this. It wasn't that, it was dialogue. 
And, um, you know, like, oh, okay, well, the reason why you're feeling this way is, you know, had this, you know, this is, this is what this is interpreted as. And it, was, and it was interesting. And it's what the therapist made everything really interesting, the things to talk about and deal with. And um, so just having someone to bounce stuff off. And then when you find out that your therapist also is a therapist, and I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, well, wait, because he goes, we got somebody to talk to you too. Think of the stuff we, we, we hear and deal with. And I was like, wow, you know, so this guy, uh, his name's Don Warner, actually. He, you know, he was out of a cow and now he's up. And I still talk to him uh, every now and then on phone and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm having, uh, his wife likes to, wife's a good Brahmin, like you said about your wife being a Brahmin in your family. And um, I would get these moments where my wife will call them my dark and drearies. And she'll see them coming before I do, which is amazing. And um, certain things will tip her off. And she'll be like, you need to give, you need to give Don a call. Like, she's like, just please just give Don a call. I'm like, all right, you know, and I will. And usually I'll say, oh, I don't need to or else. And usually she's pretty good. There's things that will come out that, you know, I'll feel better after talking to him out. So, you know, um, in fact, my son was going to him for a little bit. Uh, you know, we uh, think about divorce. Um, you said you're a product of divorce family or else. Uh, my son, one was perfectly fine. The other one was having a little bit of issues. My older boy, the complete reverse, I thought who would affect um, but I, he's my, my oldest is 21. My youngest is 19. They both live with my ex-wife and, um, which he's doing really good now. So, but he talked to me and he says, um, it's funny. He says, uh, dad, how can I always be happy? I'm like, kid, you can't. He's like, okay, well, that makes me feel better. Cause I felt like I'm not always happy if I'm broken. Oh, he's grown up in a generation that's, you know, Instagram highlights uh, telling him that you'll always be happy. Correct. And, and I love that whole philosophy is we can't have light without dark. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to have the ups and downs. You feel elation because you felt misery. Yeah. You know? and, it doesn't, and you don't want to seek that, but things are going to happen. Pets are going to die, you know, whatever, whatever, even if you're in a pretty idyllic life, life is going to throw things at you. And yeah, I mean, understanding that, that working through that and then coming out the other end gives you the resilience to to find more happiness i think but yeah there's there's ups and downs no matter who you are so it was, it was interesting with him so he's doing it, it he's doing good like he's happy now so good no well, neither one of them be firemen by the way <laughs> <laughs> well again i mean it's funny like our generation you know i mean you hear a lot sadly with, with law enforcement too like i wouldn't want my son to be profession whatever and i adore the profession of firefighting i adore emergency medicine but some of the environments that we've put our men and women in it's just you know it's we've got to fix that otherwise we're not going to have any firefighters and soldiers and you know police officers no uh, you know and, and the question on the other side that no one seems to talk about is why are our streets so dangerous Go to Oslo. You're not going to see gangs murdering each other in the streets. Yeah. You're not going to see, you know, reams of homeless people living under bridges. So what are we doing wrong that some of these other countries have figured out? Yeah. Let's have that discussion too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, it has been an amazing conversation. If people want to connect with you, reach out to you, where, or even find you in the groups that you're with with the training, where are the best places online? Uh, well, you'll find me... Um Let's see, um, on Instagram, uh, I think it's just AJ Gillen, I think is what it is. Um, I'm on Facebook. So, 
and that's so I'm not a big social media guy. It's just not my thing. Um, I'm pretty reserved on that stuff. You'll usually find either stuff on there about my dogs, uh, my wife, or you'll find like leadership and firefighter stuff, all stuff. That's about it. Just kind of quiet. I'm not really good with it. So <laughs> it's a tool. That's all it is. It's entertaining. Well, Tony, I want to say thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. Yet again, another, you know, immigration story. I think it's important that we get all these voices from all over the place. But, you know, your perspective with the military and coming into the fire service and, you know, your vulnerability to discuss some of the mental health stuff. I mean, it's all so, so important. So I just want to thank you for coming to the house and talking today. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. It was, a, it was an honor and pleasure. Thank you.